Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Reformed Orthodox Rabbi Bill Clinton, also known as Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of December 10th, 2022, including all the latest news and announcements from the Game Awards, Xbox offers concessions to both Nintendo and Steam that Sony refuses to even discuss, as well as some additional ongoing concerns with the Activision Blizzard deal. Xbox game pricing is going up. We'll get into that in a little bit. Phil Spencer's got some quotes on that. Let's dive into the Callisto Protocol, which I began playing this past week, and more. And on this day in Xbox history in the year 2020, Cyberpunk 2077 came out on the Xbox One worldwide. What a memorable moment in a memorable year, but you know, it's uh, turned around quite a bit. We'll talk about Cyberpunk 2077 later on in the news as it does show up with the Game Awards with some announcements. But uh, you know, it's, it is good to see that in a lot of ways Cyberpunk was able to turn around, although it, it is also one of those things where it's not, it's not like, oh, poor Cyberpunk. It didn't come out the gate quite the way we expected. Hope it gets better soon. It was more like, how dare you lie to us and mislead us, um, CD Projekt Red. But what, what, whatever, right? We're gamers. We're over it. We like to be taken advantage of so we can just focus on the next outrage. So it's it's okay. Right now, our anger is fixated on $70 video games. We're okay with Cyberpunk because the Netflix show is cool. I think that's kind of where we're at, but nonetheless, Cyberpunk. I need to get around to that game finally. I've I had it. I've had it since it came out. I just haven't played it because I was waiting for the Series X update, and then you know, you know how it goes. You don't play a game. Two years go by. You play other games. It ends up in your backlog. But I do have no doubt that Cyberpunk 2077 probably is a very excellent game. All right, guys, welcome to episode 184 of the Xbox On podcast. This is a massive week we have ahead of us. We had, you know, it's been pretty damn slow the past month or so with news. And then this week we got, I kid you not, eight updates on the Activision Blizzard deal to go over. And these are some pretty interesting ones. These aren't like the typical like legal stuff that you can't bother to, to, to understand what's going on. It's it's like interesting, spicy details. So, you know, still still not everyone's favorite topic of discussion, but of course a very necessary one as we hopefully finally near some, some serious progress that will get us to the finish line a little faster. But more important than that, I think just because for the sake of having something interesting to talk about and new, the Game Awards just took place, which is why this podcast is going up way later than it usually does. Generally, it will go live on a Thursday, but you may be noticing it's going live on a Saturday this week, and that's because the Game Awards were late on Thursday night. On Friday, I have a day job to work, and then on Friday night, which is the time I'm recording this right now, I'm, I'm making the show. I'm putting it together for you. What do you want? It takes time. So I'm putting the show together. Hopefully, it'll be out first thing Saturday morning. You guys are listening to it. You're not too mad at me, I hope, and uh, you're enjoying uh, what should be a pretty pretty beefy, meaty episode of the Xbox On podcast. So, I mean, I don't even fully know where to begin. I tried to extra organize my thoughts and notes and everything this week just to kind of keep a, a, a good flow, but... 
I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. One other little side note I want to just throw out there real quick. Apologies that the audio sounds a little off this week. And hey, if it sounds better than usual, let me know. I need feedback. Uh, I'm having some issues with my audio interface, which I usually plug up my XLR microphone through. Uh, this week, it's been giving me some trouble. If you stop by the stream on Thursday night when we were watching the Game Awards together on twitch.tv slash lightningextreme, uh, you may have noticed the audio was kind of shit. It kept getting very quiet for no reason. So, um, I've been messing around with that. Right now I have my mic plugged in via USB instead of XLR, which is like a big, a big no-no. Uh I I know in the in the in the audio world, but it's kind of what I have to do on last minute as, as a last minute fixer up because this is really uh, the only mic I have right now that's usable. So I hope the mic is pretty is, is sounding pretty good. Uh let me know if it's bad, if it's better than usual, or if you didn't even notice a difference, that would be helpful. Uh, because I gotta get I, th- I think this audio interface is shit in the bed. It might be time to upgrade or maybe just stick with the usb input i I don't really know anyway guys that's that's really more my concern than it is yours uh so let's let's move on from that shall we guys it's 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 a great day to be here because aside from the game awards and all the big news we have to get into this is probably the last xbox on episode of the year that's going to have any like serious news of, of any of any notable consequence because generally after the game awards uh, it goes whisper quiet for the rest of the year as far as big game stories are concerned. So don't don't get me wrong. Xbox on isn't going anywhere. We're here every single fucking week. I'll be here next Thursday and the Thursday after that and so on and so forth. But um, usually around this time of year, we got to start talking about some uh, coming up with some creative topics to kind of, you know, keep us going. I Not so much filler content, but just because, you know, to me, I think it's really important that a a weekly podcast stay consistent as much as possible because, as someone who has, ma- I say this all the time, you know, as someone who has massive work commutes, I know how incredibly important it is to have the podcast you listen to on a regular basis available to you reliably and consistently. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people take time off around this time of year. They travel, they have the holidays, family visiting. A lot of us, a lot of people like myself, and I know a lot of you out there listening, we still work. You know, we work retail, we work customer service, we work middle management, we work all these types of jobs where they, they don't take a day off for the holidays. So I know it's really important to have these podcasts available. So we will find fun things to talk about. There will be some smaller news stories, no doubt. We'll talk about our game of the year picks, our personal favorite games we played this year. We'll have some fun topics to go over for sure. But this is probably the last episode of the year that's going to have sizable, really interesting um news to discuss but you watch me eat these words i swear to god this the day after i post this fucking podcast it's gonna be like uh, xbox bought the game awards and uh then tencent bought the ftc and then blocked the activision blizzard deal but turns out activision blizzard is actually a kaiju and then demolished tencent and then uh, microsoft bought that tamed the kaiju that is activision blizzard and is now a pokemon master or some bullshit like that i always jinx myself but anyway enough meandering enough bullshitting guys let's start out this week with our stories of mild amusement, our updates, things of that nature, these kinds of smaller, mildly notable stories before we jump into really what are two, the two and only big, the sorry, the two big and only two real news stories to get into, which are the Game Awards and the Activision Blizzard stuff, both of which consist of multiple news items. So this uh, this first small bite-sized news story, and I, I guess it's technically not, any other week this would be a major news story, it's just we got so much to get into with the other topics, but Microsoft uh, is is announcing the increase of Xbox game pricing. So let's get into this. From VGC, 
Microsoft has confirmed the plans. They plan to raise the price of major first-party Xbox games from $60 to $70 beginning in 2023. Starting next year, games like Forza Motorsport, Redfall, Starfield will all cost $70 in the U.S. as opposed to the standard $60. In a statement to IGN, Microsoft said regional pricing may differ and didn't offer spe uh, specifics for other countries, saying, quote, the price reflects the content scale and technical complexity of these titles. A Microsoft spokesperson says we develop games by our teams at Xbox. They will also be available with Game Pass the same day as they launch. Gaming can be expensive as a hobby. I see certain platforms uh, going to in the U.S. $70 for games. Xbox Phil Spencer told Len Vanguardia last month. Consoles are $500 right now in the U.S. pricing. I think that's a heavy investment for a lot of people who aren't everyday video game players. Kind of more casual players or families, that's balanced many things. I think at this point we'll have to raise the price on certain things. This is last month what Phil Spencer was saying, but going into the holiday we thought it was important to maintain our prices. And that's what Phil Spencer said in a Wall Street Journal Tech Live event the other month. So that's a little bit that was a little bit of a of, of some foreshadowing of what's to come it seems like. Uh, where you, you fast forward to this week, Phil Spencer was on the Second Request podcast. Uh, which was the day this news broke and, and the hosts asked about this very news to which Phil Spencer said the following, quote, the thing is that we decided to announce, well, we haven't raised any prices on games today just because we wanted to give consumers a heads up on what's going to be coming down the in the road the next year. The largest AAA games that the retail price will be going from $60 to $70 in U.S. pricing, but in no way the first mover, uh, but we're in no way the first mover in this. In fact, other publishers, other platforms have already announced and made the move. We had held off as long as we could, and we still feel like the fact that our subscription is at a price point is at the price points at our consoles with the Series S, the lowest price current gen console on the market, the margin uh, and managing the business, the move we decided to make was on the retail pricing of our largest games. And it's really just the cost basis of building those games and ensuring that we can run a business in the right way for our customers. Okay, so that's that Phil Spencer way of talking where it doesn't always translate to the written word as smoothly as, you know, if you were hearing him speak it. But um, basically... Here's the thing is, I understand a lot of people's concern with this is that, well, well, hey, here's the thing. We know Sony came out the gate with the PS5 saying, boom, $70, not $60. Games are now $70. And, you know, for a lot of Xbox fans, especially a lot of Xbox fanboys, console warrior type people in particular, this was a, an easy dunking point for them. It's like, oh, enjoy your $70 games. Xbox is so awesome. They care about the consumer. We're still at $60. And that was kind of a stupid argument always because... Really what it was was Sony being the ones to say to step up to the plate on behalf of the entire industry and be like video games are becoming way too fucking expensive to develop. And, you know, Sony's a prime example of that because they make some of the most highly designed and developed games on the market. And they're just coming out basically saying like game the game, the price of games needs to increase. It's been sixty dollars since two thousand five. Like something needs to change. It's time, you know, with inflation and whatnot and the cost of the rising cost of development, it is time for these prices to go up. So I think for Sony to go first, like they did in twenty twenty was was just kind of a given that everyone else would soon follow. It was just more of this um this this like wait and see approach of like every publisher and every big player like Nintendo, Microsoft take two Activision, all these guys being like, okay, who's going to, you know, let, let's, let's see how it works out for these guys. Maybe if it works out really well, we'll jump in immediately. If it doesn't, we'll wait it off a little bit. Kind of reminds me of and this is kind of a weird grab that little bit from like family guy a long, long time ago. I don't even know why I remember this. I don't even watch family guy, but a long time ago, old family guy episode where they had like some joke about, it was like an Olympic race 
for people who who it was like the Special Olympics and it was like a hundred meter dash for people who are afraid of yellow tape and obviously the joke being at the end of the hundred meter dash or hundred yard dash or whatever the fuck it was there's a you got to cross the yellow tape to win and so it's so funny because you know like the the the, the timer sounds and all the guys are running from the start. And then they all get to the finish line. They see the yellow tape and they all get afraid to cross the line because no one wants, you know, it's everyone's big fears crossing the tape. And that's kind of like the mental image I get thinking about this, this overarching continuous story over these past few years about the rising cost of, of game development and the, in the price increase on games that's being passed down to the consumer, which is, it has to happen. Everyone's afraid because no one wants to take the bad PR, but this kind of had to happen. And when one domino falls, the, the, the rest are sure to follow. And so to me, I don't read this and say, oh, oh my God, this is so shocking. Xbox, you're really raising your prices, E2, Brute. This is more like, yeah, I mean, it was just a matter of time, really. I think the fair angle from fans and from from consumers uh, in terms of criticism is this is this notion I see going around where it's like, if you're going to raise the price of your games from $60, $70, at least be at a place where you're putting out first-party content, which is a fair criticism in the sense that Microsoft hasn't put out jack shit in 2022. They had Pentiment, which was like a you know side project. They had Grounded, which is a game that was already out that is now in 1.0 release. They had... Um, they had asked uh, asked the dust, which was a a second party game pass kind of kind of secondary tertiary kind of experience, not really a primary first party title. And so it it, it kind of seems like the timing is off. And I understand that for a lot of people that's just like, well, why don't you get a big triple A game that justifies the $70 price tag out in the market first before you go and raise the price? But then you see Phil Spencer and he's basically saying, no, 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 we're just giving you the heads up right now that it's coming, but we're not even doing it yet. We're going to wait until these games start hitting the shelves, you know, Redfall, Starfields, things like that. So I don't know. I understand this from both perspectives. I, I, I can't say in the least bit that I'm surprised that we're, we're here at the $70 mark, especially because when you think about when the announcement was originally made a couple years back from Sony that they were going to $70, this was a way to play catch up on 15 years of inflation. And now you look at where we are today, the past couple of years with, with the pandemic and everything has hyper accelerated inflation so much further that honestly, this jump from 60 to $70 more than getting us ahead of where we need to be kind of just puts us back to where we were a few years ago. And by we, I mean, you know, game publishers and, and these, in these platform holders that sell video games, of course. So it's just kind of helping even out the inflation in a lot of ways. And it, it, it sucks. It always is going to be bad timing, right? Especially right now when the economy is starting to get rough and people are going to, people are starting to lose their jobs and it's the holidays. This isn't like a great time to be like, Hey, we're asking for more money, you know? And it does kind of seem at odds with where Xbox has been recently because you know the other week we were talking about wow xbox is selling the series s for 50 60 bucks off depending on where you go and now this week we're like xbox is raising the price of games so it's like you know it's kind of shitty and um I don't know. I, I I'm sympathetic to all to all angles of it. You know, my my allegiance is always gonna be with the consumer because fuck the corporations. But at the same time, it's like Microsoft's a business. They're here to make money. Ultimately, it's just kind of stupid for them to be holding out, being like, our games are $60. Like, they're just like this last bastion of hope. When in reality, they could absolutely get away with $70, $70 games. It just makes no sense. And it's hard to explain to your shareholders why the market has moved on to $70, but you're for some arbitrary purpose just holding on to the $60 relic of the past. It just doesn't really make sense. There's no really big way for them to justify it. And then on top of that, you got the, the, the point that I'm ignoring to mention up until this point that I'm sure is on everyone's mind, which is Game Pass. 
This is, if anything, this is just another one of those reaffirming things that's telling your consumer base, hey, dummy, why the fuck are you buying a game for $70? Just subscribe to Game Pass and play it in there. You know, it's like, I, I, I understand there's some people who want to have the sense of like, they own the game. There are some people who want to have the physical copy, whatever the case may be. I respect everyone's reasons for why they purchase and consume content the way they, they, they see best fit. But man, it's like, to me, I'm just like, Game Pass, <laughs> you know, like, don't want to spend $70 on Starfield? subscribe to game pass so this is another one of those things that just kind of if anything is just going to push more people down that that route uh while also you know pocketing a little bit of extra change from those consumers that don't want to subscribe to game pass those pc players that are like uh, i'm no thanks i'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna subscribe to game pass to play the halo infinite campaign i'm just gonna pick it up on steam or whatever something like that you know or the the, the playstation fan who has an xbox as like a secondary console and doesn't really want a game pass subscription because they don't play xbox all that much but you know they want to pick up starfield and see what that's all about so it, there, there is a market for it nonetheless but you know for a lot of us especially us more hardcore xbox fans i think this is something easy to pick at and to take apart and, and argue about but ultimately kind of not relevant because most of us are probably all playing our games through game pass anyway so i i don't know man this was inevitable. Um, it's really, I think if, there's a, if you want to get controversial about it or, or, or view this in a controversial light, I think it has more to do with the timing, with uh, it just being juxtaposed against Xbox cutting prices on Series S for the holidays and now raising prices on games or not raising them yet, but announcing that the price increase is coming. And maybe that's an intentional thing to help kind of bolster holiday sales of games by saying like, hey guys, as soon as we start putting out big games next year, prices are going up. So make sure you buy, buy, buy now. If there's a game you're eyeing, make sure you buy it now because the price is only going up for these things. So I don't, I don't know if maybe they think that's some kind of like superficial way to inflate, you know, inflate sales for the holiday season. I don't really think that's the case. I don't know. I think they're probably just trying to get some bad news out ahead of a busy news week with the game awards and everything to try and just, you know, start out 2023 with a clean slate and kind of have that that stage set with like this is where we were 2022 was a shit show we didn't have any games we had some bad news about price increases but here we go it's 2023 starfield's on the way redfall's on the way forza's on the way plenty of new games to learn about to see in action for the first time let's be excited about the roadmap ahead so i think that's kind of what this is probably more about than anything um but but yeah, man, I just, I don't know. I, I understand, like, Kronky makes the good argument about how, well, you know, things that y you say gaming pr game pricing hasn't changed in 15 years. You know, it's been $60 for 15 years, but what about games as a service? What about in-app purchases, DLC, seasonal content, skins, all the loot boxes? Fair point. Games are probably making more money than ever before with that kind of shit. But nonetheless... When you're a publicly traded company trying to justify selling your product, you got you got to put some confidence in your investors and confidence in in you know whether it's investors like your your shareholders or investors like your publisher as if you're like an independent game developer or whatever. You got to put some some confidence in these people by being like, yeah, we're going to be able to make our money back on the on the cost of development. You know, in-app purchases and skins and stuff only go so far uh, in an industry where you know, less than a percent of games that release actually get the privilege of of succeeding as a live service game that gets to then, you know, continue to make money for years to come from its its dedicated and growing consumer base. So I, I don't know. It's um that's that's kind of a that would be kind of a risky way to run a business is to think of it in the in the sense of like, oh, we'll just make money on the back end. It's like that's not that's not really how everyone gets to play the game. That kind of works for the Fortnites of the world, but not so much everyone else. So whatever. Let's not linger on this too much longer because we got a long list of news stories to get to uh, with the Game Awards and whatnot. But that was the big stories of Model Amusement, which, like I said, would normally be a major topic of discussion 
on any other week, but because of just what we got going on, um, we're going to put it there. A couple really small ones or much smaller ones by comparison to what we just went over, I will say, um, before we get into the proper news. Halo's got a little bit of an update. <laughs> this is from Windows Central. Uh, Halo Infinite has received its surprise December update that adds a good amount of new content. The game update comes with the thing Jesse's been waiting for the most, Custom Games Browser. Uh, this feature makes it makes all existing armor cores free and available to all players, so now you can do the cross-customization uh, with um, the use of all default cadet armor coatings. Notably, this is the first instance of cross-core coatings in the game, which they announced a while back, and now we're starting to see some of that pay off. Additionally, the update also brings Halo 3's classic map, The Pit, remade as the map Empyrean uh, to matchmaking in Halo Infinite. It includes a variety of quality of life feature improvements, such as an increased network stability, better mouse and keyboard aim, and in-game reporting. So this is really funny. I, I can't remember. I feel bad. Um, which, like... I follow a bunch of them. Halo YouTuber, Halo content creator. Uh, I don't know if it was Ubernick or who, but uh, what or Halo follower or who, but someone had the funny the funny tweet when this update dropped and said, "Halo Infinite finally launched today." And uh, you know, it's not it's not entirely wrong. I think this is it. This is the fucking update. You know, we were so close a few weeks ago when the uh, winter update came out and they, they, they brought forge into the game and they brought a couple new maps and a couple new features and that free seasonal battle pass. I was like, that's nice. That's really good. Don't get me wrong, but forge, you know, for a lot of people like me who don't create in forge, they just play user created content. Forge is kind of fucking useless without a custom games browser. And so to me, this makes it like official. And with that, now we have forge, we have custom games. We have a, a decent roster of multiplayer maps. We have a decent multiplayer progression and customization system. Still room to improve, no doubt. But between you know the way they overhauled after you know um, after game progression reports and and daily challenges and the way they're upgrading the armor core system and the customization, the way they've added a lot of new maps in in, in recent weeks or months. Um, finally, we got custom games and forge like all of this together. Finally, puts Halo Infinite in a position where it is like day one, ready to go. This is what the game should have launched as. If everything that Halo Infinite is today was what the game was exactly a year ago when this game was just coming out, dude, I think the story of this game would be so different right now. So fucking different. And it's really unfortunate that that's kind of how it goes. And, you know, I was remarking, spoiler alert for, you know, the Game Awards, but I guess this isn't really a spoiler because Halo Infinite wasn't at the Game Awards. And this is a comment we were talking about during the stream. We have this discussion in the chat uh, the other day. Which is that, you know, generally the way it works with the Game Awards is the the cutoff date for something to be considered for the Game Awards is sometime in early to mid-November. So if a game comes out past, I'll pick an arbitrary date. Let's just say if a game comes out past November 15th, you know, the Game Awards is in early December. That game cannot be considered for the for Game of the Year or any of the awards because it's just too recent. It hasn't given critics and reviewers or anyone enough time to really sit with the game and render a fair verdict. So those games just do not get considered. And, um, you know, that's why games like games like God of War were able to just kind of eke out before that deadline. Um, so that's why last year Halo Infinite wasn't at the Game Awards because the game didn't fully launch until early December around the time of the Game Awards. But this year, generally the way that would work is, okay, it wasn't eligible for the 2021 Game Awards, but it will be eligible for the 2022 Game Awards. Well, noticeably, you know, if you watch the Game Awards, spoiler alert, we're going to get into it all in a little bit. Halo Infinite was not at the Game Awards this year either. So uh, Halo Infinite, despite being the most relevant Xbox game to come out in many, many years, had no presence at the Game Awards last year or this year. 
And I'm talking about in terms of being nominated for any kinds of awards or anything like that. I'm not talking about like having a trailer play during, you know, the Game Awards commercial break or something like that. This is quite... I don't know. I think this is not a really a great look for Halo, <laughs> to be quite honest. Like, you would want your flagship franchise to be front and center representing your brand, especially when Xbox is kind of in this weird half renaissance resurgence era, half not, because people love the new consoles. People love how dedicated the brand is to like fan service and just taking care of the customers and giving them what they want. People really love Game Pass and all this and the, the undeniable quality and, and value that's intrinsic to that service. But Xbox just doesn't fucking have the games. <laughs> and the one time they do have a game, it doesn't get represented. And man, I just wonder if maybe, maybe if the story this year were that consistent, like Halo Infinite is just killing it. It's got all the features, constantly putting in new maps, amazing live service content, all this stuff. I wonder if the story for Halo Infinite had been super popular this year, if maybe we would have seen it at the Game Awards this year, but I, I don't know. It's just, it's really quite unfortunate, but we'll get more into that with Xbox's kind of uh, lackluster showing at the Game Awards at, once we get into the main news in a little bit. Um, additionally, with Halo, uh, we have some also not so great news. Halo Infinite's multiplayer creative director has announced he's leaving the studio. Tom French shared the news in a tweet last week saying, after 11 and a half years on Halo, I step out of my Spartan armor for the last time and head off to new adventures. It's been a massive honor to have been part of a game I loved so much as a player and admired so much as a developer. I couldn't be more proud of my time at 343 Industries. French's departure coincides with the recent arrival of long-awaited features such as co-op campaign, Forge Beta, Mission Replay, all of which were previously delayed on several occasions. According to Halopedia, at, at 343 Industries, French worked as a mission designer on Halo 4 and as head of Halo 5 Guardians Forge team as UGC director. He also had helped on Halo 5 Forge and Halo Infinite's Forge modes as well. Helped to develop, sorry. Halo 5's Forge. So, huge contributor to Forge, huge contributor to the Halo franchise under 343's tutelage, and obviously uh, lead creative director on multiplayer for Infinite. Say what you will about Infinite's shortcomings, but no doubt, at its core, Halo Infinite's multiplayer, its core experience is really solid Halo multiplayer. So, Tom French clearly had a large hand, had a big hand in, um, in, in contributing greatly positively to this uh to this franchise under 343's leadership and it's uh it's kind of it's gonna be sad to see him go man it's 343 continues to lose core talent and it's just not it's not a great look people move on in the games industry it is common people go from project to project job to job studio to studio but when you have a top tier top of the line highly desirable studio franchise that is just industry defining that everyone loves and respects you, you get a lot less of that turnover. It is generally more of a place where people want to come there and, and, and be a part of that and, and live their career dedicated to that team and that project. And Halo does not have that. 343 does not have that. It continues to be this place where people come and go. They get the resume experience of Halo, they, and then they get the hell out and work somewhere else. And it's this place where, you know, these people that you would assume to see stay there for indefinite an indefinite amount of time just leave prompt abruptly and it's uh it's just not great and it's obviously that's telling you know it's halo infinite is finally in a multiplayer state where it's like stable it's good to go you know the multiplayer is finally pretty good the forge is finally out now coincidentally that guy the guy behind it all leaves the studio and you know it's probably not a coincidence there's probably something there the guy's probably been in in this thankless miserable position 
where he's trying his best to create this thing that he's passionate about while getting shit on by the community while also not being given the proper resources by his company um, with, with a, you know, a stable work environment, because we know the stories of three, four, three during the development of this game with temporary labor, constant turnover, freelance work, not actual like concrete permanent staff. And I'm, I'm sure that kind of stuff is, is grading and, and, and puts you in a position where you're, you're probably not thrilled about working on something that should be a dream come true, but ends up being, you know, what Halo Infinite's development ended up being. So, you know, all that's conjecture on my part, of course. You know, you don't know Tom's real reasons for leaving. Hopefully it is all amicable and, and he's on to bigger and better things for himself. But you can't help but wonder, you know, just yet another core member of 343 leaving the team. This is probably a response to a, a just arduous and uh, and rough five, six years that were the development of Halo Infinite. So, of course, wishing all the best to Tom French. Hopefully the, the game continues to you know, go on without a hitch better than ever before, even without him there, but uh, no doubt a serious loss. All right, we got one last story of mild amusement before we, we get into the, the big meatiness of, of this week, um, and that's just Yuji Naka popping back up again. Former Sonic team head Yuji Naka has been arrested a second time due to alleged inside trading. This time the arrest relates to potential inside trading related to confidential knowledge of mobile title Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier. According to a new report by Asahi, the developer, as well as former Square Enix uh, employee Taisuke Sazaki, uh, were arrested for allegedly investigating investing in A-Team Entertainment based on non-public knowledge of Square Enix's future plans to work with the studio on Final Fantasy mobile games. According to Asahi, it is claimed that Naka was made aware of Square Enix's plans to develop the game with A-Team prior to the official announcement. Naka would then reportedly, reportedly purchase around 120,000 shares of the company in a total price of 144 million yen or 834,000 US dollars. So Naka... For the second time, being arrested for uh, his his practices with inside trading, really just disheartening, sad stuff. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Maybe the guy has his day in court, and uh, this turns out to be one big misunderstanding. But it's just a it's just a sad look, man. It's like it's like seeing like um, I don't know. It's like it's like being a kid and thinking your older brother's best friend is like some super fucking cool guy and always wanting to hang out with your big brother and his friend whenever they come, whenever he comes over because they're older. He's got, he's got a fucking mustache and a skateboard and he's cool and he stays out past his curfew and, and he rides a skateboard around the, 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 the fucking grocery store parking lot and gets yelled at by security because he's badass. And he doesn't give a shit. And then, and then you grow up and you end up being like someone who kind of matters. And that guy ends up being like a, like an alcoholic living, uh, li- <laughs> living, living, um, in his mom's basement or something. I I don't know. I can't think of a good example. And it's like, this isn't, this isn't satisfying. This isn't funny. This, no one wants to see this. This is just sad. Yuji Naka. Like why, why, why'd you got to go make Sonic and then get him arrested? Like, what the fuck is that all about? <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll see if that story develops further, but not, not the greatest story to have to read. All right, let's keep the pace going. Uh, maybe pick it up a little faster so we can get into the to the the main meat and potatoes of the show as I keep as I keep teasing. Of course, you know we never even on weeks like this when we got massive news to get to, we never jump straight into the news. We always got to take a deep breath for a minute, talk about the games we've been playing this week. And before we can even do that, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. Of course, so what have I been playing? Slow down. What have I been eating? Is the real question. This this week, guys. You know, I meant to, I meant for this, actually, I'm excited to talk about this. I meant for this to be a venture 
to kick off 2023, something new, but I came across an opportunity and I couldn't refuse. So I, uh, I say famously, but I don't know if anyone cares or remembers, but I, I consistently have made fun of a lot of popular fast food eating establishments over the years, maybe sometimes unwarranted criticism. And I, I, I've decided, you know, it's been long enough with some of these restaurants that I need to give them a second try. You know, I'm talking about places I wrote off when I was 15 that I haven't been to in a long time. And it's, it's time to see what adult Jesse has to say on this restaurant or that restaurant. So uh, an idea I had kicking around for 2023 was I'm going to try like once a month or so to hit up a fast food restaurant that I have on record said in the past, I hate this restaurant. This restaurant sucks. This restaurant's overrated. Whatever the case is, intentionally try to go back, give it a go, then come back to the podcast and talk about it and see how do I feel about it as someone who's pushing 30 as opposed to how I felt at 19 or whatever. And so this week I accidentally kind of kickstarted it because I was at the mall with my girlfriend and uh, we just so happened to, you know, whatever food court, it was there. I was like, fuck it. I'm doing it this week. We're kicking off with Chipotle, which I know is a restaurant I've made fun of on this podcast numerous times before. Chipotle is a restaurant that always perplexes me because it is so immensely popular. It's one of those things where, especially with like my generation, these younger kids, where it's just like, it's seen, it's like trendy, it's like hipster, it's like fresh, it's not really hipster at all, but it's, you know, it's like fresh and trendy and cool because there's just some air about it where it's like eating Taco Bell is death, eating Chipotle is like not healthy, but it's like that Chick-fil-A effect where it's like, Everyone knows it's not healthy, but we can kind of like do the mental gymnastics to convince ourselves it's okay to eat as opposed to like the other guys. And I'm sure there is a hierarchy with fast food where some of it is less shit for you than others. But like, come on, you can't convince me that eating Chipotle is like good for you. Like, oh, I chose to eat Chipotle over Taco Bell. It's like, you're a saint. Your colon will thank you and you'll live five years longer. It's like, whatever, dude. Eat the shit you're going to eat if you're going to eat fast food is all is all I got to say about that. But I've always taken umbrage with Chipotle. I feel like Chipotle is incredibly overrated and I don't understand really where it fits into in the fast food market because in my mind it always is a, a direct competitor with restaurants like Moe's or Qdoba where it's like you know it's like one of those counter service kinds of you get a roll up burrito or some nachos or whatever or taco salad it's like 10 to 13 bucks a meal you know you fucking order at the counter you customize it there you pay for it you go and that's kind of how I've always compared it to but what I'm com coming to realize with Chipotle is Despite the fact that Chipotle has a similar menu to places like Moe's or Qdoba, it is kind of its own thing for, for whatever reason. It's just kind of carved out a niche within this like kind of fresh Tex-Mex quick service market where people just think of Chipotle as kind of its own thing. So whatever, you know, I, I figured I'm going to go here. I'm going to get, you know, the kind of thing that just sounds good to me and see how I like it, you know, at my current age, because I, I it's honest to God, it's been the five or seven years, like somewhere between five and seven years since I last had Chipotle. So generally, you know, if I'm going to a place like Moe's, I'm going to get like a steak burrito or a chicken burrito. I'm going to fucking, you know, white rice, black beans, fucking guacamole, sour cream, cheese, lettuce, queso cheese on top of the melty shit on there. You can throw in some jalapenos, depending on how I'm feeling. I know this is going to be weird. Some people would want the pico de gallo. I'd rather do diced tomato, throwing some onion. I don't give a shit. They're just load it up, put everything under the sun in there, wrap that fat fucker up. And I'm all for it. And generally I love something like that. I love a good fat burrito from Moe's, but Chipotle, I just always remember feeling like this is worse than Moe's and twice as expensive. So I decided to give it a go. I know with Chipotle, the, the, the big trendy thing to get there is, is the, the, the bowls, the rice bowls. But to me, it's like, that's so sad. Why would I, why would I get that when I could have the tortilla? So I got the burrito anyway. And Gotta be honest, with Chipotle, 
at here I am at 27, almost 28 years old, and um, I I enjoyed Chipotle more than I remember enjoying Chipotle. Here I am trying to be a little positive. I don't hate it, but I will say this: I am definitely mostly still in agreement with how I've always felt about Chipotle, which is I'd rather have Moe's, I'd rather have Qdoba. This place is incredibly overrated and overpriced for what it is. And if you told me tomorrow I can never eat at Chipotle ever again, I would not be in the least bit upset. However, I enjoyed my meal. I did not regret it. And if you put me, you know, gun to my head and said, eat this fucking burrito from Chipotle in the future, I'd eat it. And I wouldn't even complain about it. I'd just, I'd just eat the damn thing and I'd move on with my life. So Chipotle, you have now moved up the ranks from complete shithole restaurant, I don't know why people like you, to it's totally fine. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'll never go for it as a first choice, but if it's put in front of me, I guess why not? That's where Chipotle has moved up in the ranks for me. Now, the funny thing is I I, I I made a big deal about this. I kept telling people, you know, at work, people, like friends, other people, like, I tried Chipotle for the first time in seven years. You know, I always make fun of Chipotle. I tried Chipotle. Uh, you know, it's not as bad as I remember. Still not great. I don't, th- I don't think it's anything special, but still not great. And everyone gave me the same response, which is, oh, Chipotle sucks now. Yeah, yeah, ever since the E. coli poisoning thing, they changed their menu. Their menu's not good anymore. Ch- Chipotle sucks. I'm like, you motherfuckers. I spent the last like billion years of my life getting chastised for always ripping on Chipotle. And now when I finally come around to the idea that it's not the worst, you guys are like, yeah, Chipotle sucks. We're over Chipotle now. I feel like the next thing that's going to happen is I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A and be like, you know what? Chick-fil-A is the greatest restaurant in the entire world. And everyone's going to be like, oh, Chick-fil-A hates the gays. And I'm like, fuck you. Ten years ago, where were you? Anyway, I I like Chick-fil-A a decent amount, actually. Their food's pretty good. I'm just really exhausted by it. But that's Chipotle. Guys, I had Chipotle for the first time in a very long time. I don't hate it as much as I used to. It's pretty mid to me, as the kids would say, or mid below. I don't know. It's like whatever. It's truly whatever. But I will say this. One one last note about Chipotle. I always do compare it to the the Qdobas or or Moe's type burrito quick service restaurants of the world. But depending on where you live, and I know I'm sorry to the international listeners who don't have access to any of these restaurants, you might be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But depending on where you live, because this restaurant's even kind of hard to find in the U.S., it's only in some states. In fact, we when I lived in Georgia, we only had a few of them, and then they all went away, and I didn't see them again until I moved to Florida, where there's a decent amount of them. There's a restaurant, fast food restaurant called Pollo Tropical. Pollo Tropical? Poy, it's, I, always, I always struggle with this. It's Pollo, which is the Spanish word for chicken, and then tropical, like, like tropical fruit, tropical climate, whatever. The problem is, because you say chicken in Spanish, I always want to add a Spanish flair to the word tropical, so I always want to be like, Pollo Tropical. But it's like, no, dude, I'm, 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 I'm white American. I speak English. So it should be said, you know, by, by my people's standards, Pollo Tropical. Pollo Tropical. Doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Pollo, Pollo Tropical. It's a, um, it's like a, like a, I don't know how you want to say it, like a Latin Caribbean island. It's like, it's got like flair from like, like Hispanic food with a little bit of like different island, like, um like island flavors it's like a lot of like chopped chicken and and rice and beans and shit like that i'm I'm like butchering it but whatever it's it's pretty damn good i've always been kind of like whatever about it but the more and more i eat this place the more and more i like it and now my thing is when i eat chipotle i don't think of it as like a competitor to like a moe's burrito i think of it as like a competitor to like a pollo tropical rice bowl and so now that's kind of flipped it's flipped my understanding of chipotle around entirely where now it's not like the Tex-Mex burrito place. It's like the island tropical chicken, rice, and beans rice bowl kind of alternative place. And when you put it that way, 
I think I understand where Chipotle exists in the market, where it's kind of in between these two styles of restaurant, catering to both, but with a little bit of that like shitty modern 2010, post 2010s kind of aesthetic where everything just looks sad. It's just like fucking brick walls and just like no theming and just modern empty lighting, just miserable and barren, kind of like an Apple store. It's just, that's Chipotle. But, um, I feel like I understand it better and I respect it more. So that's what I've been eating. Let's move on. We got a lot of shit to talk about. I really shouldn't be talking about Chipotle this much. But uh, we'll continue on, guys. I've, I've talked smack about Burger King. I've talked smack about Culver's. I've talked smack about a lot of places that I, I plan on revisiting and trying to give a new a new, a new chance to, a new perspective. So follow up for more on that. But until then, let's talk about what I've been playing. Guys, there's only two games I've been playing this week. I, I was out of town for the first half of the week, so I didn't get to play too much. But... I, I did make the most of it. So I wrapped up Evil West. Uh, we talked about it a la- last week quite a bit. My thoughts on this game haven't changed. This is one of those games where it's like, I feel like once you've played an hour of Evil West, you've played the whole game. And again, I don't mean this in a bad way. It's just that the game doesn't have that many tricks up its sleeve. Uh, but it is one of those games where the gameplay loop is so fun that you will enjoy the whole game from start to finish. If you enjoy your first 30 minutes to an hour with this game, you will enjoy all 10 hours of the campaign. It is a good game start to finish. Uh, I stand by what I said. It kind of scratches a little bit of that Gears of War itch, a little bit of that Doom itch. kind of marries the two together a little bit. I see the God of War resemblance that people talk about a little bit as well, but this definitely feels like a prime 2007, 2008, 2009 kind of Xbox 360 game that I, I, I miss. I miss the goofy, campy story. It's just ridiculous, this like somewhat steampunk alternative u.s history shit with vampires versus cowboys and it's so it's so goofy it's got like the blocky looking meathead people and everyone's got such an aggro attitude and it's just so stupid this little fucking vampire girl who's like trying to poison the 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 world and turn everyone vampires and you gotta get like the president of the united states on board with your fucking this whole all this shit i don't i don't want to get into the story and spoil it but it's just it's so over the top it's so goofy none of it is particularly good but none of it's bad like it's all like kind of fun from a a b-movie kind of plot perspective and i really enjoy it I, i love how it was a game where i didn't have to get too invested in anything i didn't have to take it all too seriously but moment to moment the gameplay was always fun i will give this game serious credit i never got bored playing this game not for one second i feel like the combat is so diverse the more and more you get into it the more you upgrade your skill tree and the more you unlock your more your additional weapons and and, and attack abilities throughout the game the more it just becomes that like doom dance where it's just like zap pull him forward, smack him in the face, climb, zap him, shoot him with this, now shoot him with that, now shoot the special target, and do the finishing attack, the final attack, then pick that guy up, swing him around, throw him into a fucking pile of spikes. Actually reminds me a bit of that of that game Mad World for Nintendo Wii that was, um, damn, that was that was Platinum? Was that Platinum? Who, who the fuck made Mad World? Yeah, that was Platinum. Mad World, oh my god, that's what this game kind of reminds me of. For those who don't remember, Mad World was like that one M-rated game for Nintendo Wii developed by Platinum Games. This game was fucking awesome. Published by Sega. It was like, the whole game was like, it's like a 3D black and white game. You play as that guy with like the chainsaw and he's like smoking cigarettes and it's kind of like Gears of War a little bit inspired no doubt with the enemy types and like the fucking crazy chainsaw. Oh my god, this game was awesome. It it reminds me a little bit of Mad World as well. Yeah, this game totally scratches that itch, but it's a fucking great game. It's really fun. The combat never gets boring. The one criticism I will levy at this game is the multiplayer does have obnoxious random spikes to the point where like 
towards the end of the game, if I was having too much trouble with like a boss or something, I'd be like, fuck it, knock the st- knock it down a, a difficulty mode and then bump back up when I'm done with this boss. I don't even care. So some of the bosses were kind of infuriating with the difficulty spikes. But other than that, you know, most of the actual game outside the bosses always felt like that kind of like difficult but but fair kind of thing where it's like you die a lot but you always feel like you're getting closer the next time and i I don't know i just i really enjoy evil west um it's not for everyone i for most people i'd say this game might be like a a wait for it to be 30 or 40 percent off before you you jump on it but you know for someone like me who really misses and really highly you know well remembers kind of that that early to mid xbox 360 era i feel like this game just uh it harkens back to that in such a comforting and fun way, and I, re- I really enjoy this game. So I rolled credits on that. I, I I could see myself going back to this game in the future, maybe, and uh, playing it again, but it's nothing I'm clamoring for right now just because there's so much other stuff. Um, and that brings us to the second game I've been playing this week, which is Callisto Protocol. Uh, I really wished that, or hoped that, by this chan- by this point uh, in, in the game's life cycle that I would have had more time with it to talk to you about it further, but um, I only had about two hours with it, so I'm, I'm about two hours into the game. I'm almost on chapter three, uh, but Kronky wrote in and had a comment that I think sums up a lot of kind of how I'm feeling about it, although I think Kronky maybe uh, maybe is a little higher on it, where he says, and Kronky's since beat the game since he wrote this in, but when he wrote it in, he says, I'm about three or four hours into Callisto Protocol, and I got to say, it's probably my game of the year. doesn't have very stiff competition. I know I haven't played Pentiment, but yeah, it's similar enough to Dead Space to trigger the nostalgia, but definitely different enough to where it's its own game. I'm playing on Series X in the FPS mode, and it looks and feels fantastic. So I don't know that it goes far as to say it's like game of the year material to me. I think my game of the year is easily occupied by Sonic and nobody saves the world for sure. Those two games are just God tier to me, but um, this is definitely one of the better games I played this year. And it's kind of puzzling to me because I was a little weary going into it. I, I almost never have buyer's remorse. I'm usually pretty good about knowing what kind of gamer I am and what, what games I like. Generally, I don't really need critic reviews or anything to tell me if I'm going to like a game. Generally, I'm, I'm pretty good at being like, yeah, when that game was announced, I saw the trailer and I I knew instantly like that's a Jesse game or like that's not a Jesse game. It's very rare that like I I, I, I try something I'm like, oh, I would have never thought I liked this game, but I really like this game. So to me, Callisto Protocol kind of threw me off a little bit because this is one of those games I pre-ordered like the night before it came out just so I could have it pre-downloaded to play after work the next day. And then I was at work the next day waiting to come home and play the game. And I was just like, oh, shit. And I was just kind of shocked. I hadn't even considered a reality where this game was kind of negatively reviewing. But seeing all the negative feedback this game had been getting, I was like, wow, I, I just really expected this game was at minimum going to be considered like a B plus. But, you know, the game's not getting bad reviews necessarily. It's getting like, you know, low sevens, low to mid sevens. So that's a, that's a decent game. And, you know, it's important that we work to mitigate and, and combat this kind of mentality that like anything below a nine out of ten is a garbage game. A seven out of ten is a really damn good game, you know. It's just for some like Callisto Protocol from the creators of Dead Space, the spiritual successor to Dead Space, I don't know, you kind of default assume like, oh, this game is going to be like gold. This is going to be like game of the year potential. So I don't think in my experience that it is game of the year good so far. You know, who knows? Maybe it'll change. I'm, again, I'm only a couple hours into the game. Um, but I also really don't agree with a lot of what the critical consensus is, at least so far into the game where... I thought, honestly, especially that opening 45 minutes, opening hour of the game, I think it's just absolutely superb. This game is super fucking cool the way it opens. It's insanely cinematic. Uh, it's really gripping. The animation, the the art, the graphics, fucking phenomenal. 
you can tell it's like, you know, striking distance is comprised by a lot of old sledgehammer guys who are a lot of old visceral guys. So these are guys who worked on Dead Space. Then they went on to go work at Sledgehammer and do Call of Duty with uh, Activision. And you can tell there's a lot of that, like, that kind of like, I don't know how to put it. You know, if you've played any of the recent Call of Duties, you know that just the graphics and the facial animations and the cutscene animations have gotten so good. I feel like it's kind of that like Call of Duty level when you're watching cutscenes in this game where it's just it looks like that good. It feels like a lot has been taken and learned from working on a couple of Call of Duty games in terms of just the uh, facial animation, the mocap, the graphics and everything just looks super phenomenal in this game. But super cinematic, super interesting synopsis and setup. I just thought I just thought the the setup to this game is incredibly compelling. And I love how it tries to obviously be that like we're kind of rebooting Dead Space in a way. It's like we don't have the IP, so here is us doing Dead Space again now that we don't have access to the Dead Space name. Uh, while also creating something entirely new, entirely different, and reestablishing what this kind of game can be all together. I think they do a really good job of marrying those two things together, and it just, to me, it really kicks off Callisto Protocol in a really high-spirited and, and like promising way to where I'm just super keen to get back to this game. And it, it's, it's really upsetting. I just haven't had time to play the damn game. Like, the stream last night, the Game Awards, the podcast right now. I was out of town the first few days this week. Before that, I was trying to wrap up Evil West before I got to Callisto Protocol. You know, it's all first world problems. I'm not, you know, genuinely complaining or upset about it. It's just, it's one of those things where, like, I have a genuine itch to play this game, but I just cannot fucking find the time in my schedule to make it happen. And it's a, I mean, it's a great problem to have. Like, who doesn't love this feeling when, when you're enjoying a game so much that you're thinking about it, you're wanting to go back to it, you're wondering about it, and it's just a matter of when I get the chance to sit down and play it again. I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. And that's right where I am with Callisto Protocol, which I think is really about the best you can ask for for any game. It's just to have that feeling of, like, ooh, I'm at work right now, but I'm thinking about that game because I know it's really good and I really want to get back to it and I really want to see what happens next. And that... That is, I think, you know, I'm not a game developer. I don't know anything about this, but I assume if you're someone who creates video games, that is the feeling you probably want to elicit from your players more than anything is that feeling of, oh, I can't wait to get back to that. And that's where I feel with this game. So that's a great, it's a great start. I would say my one criticism of this game, and this is actually a criticism I have seen from other critics, uh, which is this dodge mechanic. I'm not saying I don't like it, but I'm not saying I do like it. It's, I, I'm kind of iffy on it. I'm, I'm waiting. I feel like it's going to take a couple hours longer for me to really render a verdict on how I feel about this. But unlike Dead Space, Callisto Protocol is very melee focused. Uh, it's about half and half, maybe leaning a little more on the melee side. Dead Space is very gun focused only. And I loved the I love that unique mechanic of Dead Space where it's like you're shooting the limbs off the bad guys. And that's kind of like the name of the game. In this game, when you shoot, it's a lot more traditional. It's like aim for the head, shoot, it's a gun, right? But there's also a ton of melee mixed in with that. And when you're doing the melee, you have to dodge attacks. You have to do the back and forth. I hit, you hit, I hit, you hit. But when you're dodging, it's like you have to hit the analog stick in left or right, either direction. But you just have to hold in that direction. And then after they swing, if they swing again, you have to flick the, the, the joystick to the other direction using the left analog stick. And it's just, it feels, it feels just kind of unintuitive. And it just kind of feels like you're trying to read the animations too much without there being any serious cue as to when it's time to dodge or which direction you should push in to dodge it just i don't know it just kind of feels a little feels not fully polished not fully developed and like they took this specific mechanic to the next level which just makes it stand out to me because the rest of the game feels so polished it looks and feels so polished so i don't know i'm not crazy about this dodge mechanic but other than that i'm very much enjoying my time with the game so far 
has a lot of that same atmosphere that Dead Space had. Uh, I saw a lot of complaints about it being just too linear. So far, I feel like it's open enough to where you get to explore this room, grab that, skip that room if you if you forgot to explore it, move over here. So I, I feel like, you know, may, I don't know, maybe it ends up being more linear than, than Dead Space, but to me, it doesn't feel like a stupid, super freaking linear hallway only game. Like a lot of people were, compla were complaining that it is. I just, I haven't come across that yet, you know, a couple hours in. I, I don't know, man. I'm just really enjoying this game. I don't I don't see a lot of things other people are seeing. Uh, I've actually had, haven't even booted it up on my Series X yet because I'm trying to capture footage of it. So I'm playing it on my Series S at 30 FPS. The game looks pretty damn good on the Series S. Um, you know, I'm not a graphics snob or anything, but I, I will say 30, 30 FPS, it's noticeable. I miss my 60 FPS standard on Series X. But um, aside from that, this game runs like a little like like a fucking champ on the little Series S, which I'm continuing to just love and love um, the more I use this thing. But uh, I will be switching over to the Series X hopefully this weekend to try and experience a, a little bit more of a premium experience. But I don't know, man. I, I'm enjoying this game. I'm really looking forward to getting into it further. We'll see how my feelings change next week. But Kronky, I'm I don't think I'm as high on this game as you are, but I'm leaning more in your direction than I am in the direction of this uh, general critic consensus, which is that the game is okay. It's a decent foundation, but it's a, it's a big step down from dead space and an overall disappointment. Cause I'm, I'm not feeling that at all. And keep in mind, I only played dead space for the very first time two or three months ago. Dead space is a game that sat in my backlog for over a decade. And I played it this Halloween season for the very first time ever. And you know, if you listen to the podcast a couple months ago, you know, I fell in love with Dead Space from the get. That game, like the second I played that game, I'm like, oh my god, I was I was sleeping on this game for way too long. This is unacceptable because this game is so damn good. And so I, I'm coming in this from a fresh perspective. Do I think so far that it has the potential to be better than Dead Space? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I'm gonna like it as much as Dead Space. But do I think it is absolutely a suitable spiritual successor and a very welcome game from the creators of Dead Space? Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to more and more of this. And I hope we get a sequel. I hope Callisto Protocol is the start of a, a new franchise that gets better and better. Because I'm, I, I love Dead Space. I got to get back and play Dead Space 2 and 3. But yeah, and so far I'm, I'm loving Callisto Protocol as well. Maybe not quite as much, but I am enjoying it enough to where I, you know, my, my worries, my concerns about, oops, should I have not bought this game? Did I waste my money? Are the reviews, is the game as bad as the reviews suggest? I don't have that concern anymore. After having played it a couple hours, I feel fully confident that my $70 was well spent and that I will continue to enjoy this game to this fullest potential. So I'm looking forward to getting back to this, but that is it for what I've been playing, you guys. If you've been playing Callisto Protocol or Evil West or anything, just write in. Let us know. Let us know your thoughts on Callisto Protocol. Let us know your thoughts on Sonic Frontiers. Of course, if you're a man of culture, let us know your thoughts on Pee Wee's Playhouse. It's relevant. I don't know how, but it is. But guys, let's take a quick break. And then we'll jump into the Game Awards and all the big news we have coming up. Stay tuned. All right, so the Game Awards. I feel kind of bad going into this one because overall, I feel like I say this a lot with these, these award shows and these uh, E3-style events. I wasn't as high on this event as I would like to have been. Um, so just, uh, I guess, forewarning, I, I, I may not seem super static on this. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoy these events. I enjoy the, the the kind of seasonal, atmospheric event like nature of it. I love that it feels like this this time where everyone who's interested in this hobby kind of comes together and we all get excited about this one event and it's a fun thing to watch. And whether like your next favorite game is shown or your or your next most hated trending gaming appears as a result of the show, 
regardless of the fact, it's always kind of a fun time to just sit around and watch this event and kind of have this moment that we all share together and, you know, the memes that come with it. Uh, of course, you know, the the Orthodox rabbi Bill Clinton meme, of course, that's already spewed from this uh, from this event. But, you know, overall, I just I really wasn't impressed this year with the Game Awards. Uh, leading up to it, Jeff Keighley, the host uh, of the Game Awards, I swear to God, I didn't make this up. He tweeted out, he was talking about, he said, this year the event would be significantly shorter than previous years, a lot more compact, condensed, and better paced. So it'd be more like boom, 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 awards games, awards games, focus on what really matters, let's keep to it. And in some ways, he did do that. Like, they didn't have like a long-ass five-minute concert or anything like that. When they had live performances, it was short and sweet. It was like, boom, a little bit. They didn't have like too much crazy shenanigan bullshit out. They, you know, they still had a lot, a lot of stupidity, a lot of like um, sponsored content, dumb stuff like that. But it definitely felt like when they were doing that stuff, it was a little bit more of like, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. So in some ways, I do respect that. But honestly, in terms of the overall event, I still feel like the event was at least 30 minutes too long. It's just this this event, just it just drags. It's like three to four hours every year. And I would just, I would love for it to just be like, two and a half hours or something if we could get it down a little bit but you know the personal gripes aside really all it takes at the end of the day to make this a good show is to have some some good game announcements some game game reveals and things like that and this show no doubt it had some game reveals and game announcements that definitely did get me excited and had me like okay that game looks damn good but I felt like most of the good games were games we had already seen and then on top of that you know there's the big relevant parts of this podcast, which is just the simple fact that Xbox really didn't come to the Game Awards. They really didn't show up. They really had nothing to say, nothing to do here. And it was uh, it, it was disappointing, you know? And one last thing before we go, like, beat for beat for the announcements. I don't like to dwell too much on the, on the, on the Game Awards themselves, like the proper awards, because I, I think that's superfluous and entirely unnecessary altogether. I don't give a shit. What a bunch of fucking panelists from like people who work at like Kotaku and work in California and all this shit had to say about God of War versus Elden Ring. That's entirely irrelevant to me. It doesn't matter one goddamn bit. But what I do care about is all the cool games that get announced and things like that that we get to see and watching important figures from our industry get to interact with one another and say their piece and stuff like that. So I, I look forward to all those angles of it. So I'm not going to get into the uh, which games won which awards part of it. No, no, duh, Elden Ring won Game of the Year. There was really, it was no offense to, to those listening who this applies to. It was kind of annoying me hearing people talk about the potential of like, oh, I don't know, God of War might, no, dude, there was no chance that it was going to be any game other than Elden Ring because even though God of War, I'm sure, is a very great game, Elden Ring is one of those rare games, kind of like Skyrim, where the entire world, well outside the video game sphere, stopped and were like, hey, have you seen this game called Elden Ring? And so it's just one of those things where it's like, yes, it was Elden Ring. Otherwise, it was a pretty abysmal year in a lot of ways. There's no chance in hell it wasn't going to be Elden Ring. We can get over that part. The only other award thing that bothered me was that Sonic Frontiers was obviously snubbed, should have won every award. You goddamn know it. You know it. Stop denying it. You fucking know it. But of course, those damn liberals had to take Sonic away because they, they can't go fast. And so they don't want no one to go fast. They say, if I can't go fast, no one can go fast. And that's what they do. And so they give the award out to Elden Ring because it's slow and methodical and there's no speed whatsoever. And it makes people like us suffer. Fuck you. Sonic Frontiers was robbed. You know it. Let's move on. Bye-bye. Okay. All joking aside, let's talk about... So they did the pre-show thing. <laughs> 
the the thing they do every year where they're like the game award starts at 7:30 eastern time I'm like oh cool and then 7:30 rolls around they get like someone from IGN to talk about nothing for 30 minutes it's like ah you fucking tricked me but they did have some interesting announcements during this pre-show so we'll just go through them in the order in which they happen so during the pre-show they do some smaller announcements some smaller awards it's basically just a condensed smaller version of the less important part of the game awards and so the first thing they showed I think this will enthuse a lot of, a lot of people was the dead cells uh, Return to Castlevania DLC. So Dead Cells, the Metroidvania style game that came out, what was that, 2019, 2018, I think, um, is getting a massive DLC expansion early next year. Well, I don't know if it's massive, but it's getting a sizable DLC next year, and it is Dead Cells Cross Castlevania. And we only saw a cinematic of it. We didn't see what the gameplay looks like, so we don't have too much to go off of. It's apparently coming out pretty soon, so hopefully we'll see more on that relatively soon. But that is like a match made in heaven for people who are fans of that genre. To me, this does almost nothing because I'm just not much of a Metroidvania fan. I feel like the genre is, you know, there's a couple of games in the genre I really like, but I feel like the indie space has just killed the fuck out of the genre by doing it to, to hell and back. So to me, I'm like, I don't know. I've never played Dead Cells. I hear it's really great. I'm sure it is really great. I just never personally played it, so I have no attachment to it in Castlevania. It's kind of a cultural blind spot for me when you talk about classic games. I do have a lot of respect and appreciation for the art style. I do think it is a a, a visually pretty interesting game, but I, I don't know. It's just This is one of those things where it's like, it has no interest to me, but I do recognize that this is cool. This is a cool crossover this would be like I, I don't know how can we how can we put this this would be like um i don't know if uh if ukulele had a banjo kazooie crossover or something like that it's like the uh the student and the teacher kind of morphing together into one one new game i don't know maybe maybe something like that um but anyway after that they had uh valiant hearts which was a ubisoft uh, original game from like 2014 i want to say it was that like world war i think it's world war one game Whereas like that narrative driven 2D World War One game where you play as like those medics and they got the little dog following them around. Again, another game I never played but heard really good things about. Uh, well, Netflix and Ubisoft are teaming up to make a sequel to the game and it's going to be a mobile game. So that's a lot of weird shit. Netflix, mobile, but uh, it's coming back, which is cool because people really liked this era of like these Ubisoft original indie type games. Valiant Hearts, uh, Spirit, what is it, Child of Light. Those kinds of games. It looked like this was going to be a thing for a while, and then Ubisoft just kind of abandoned this side project. So it is cool to see them reignite this, and I I suspect there are some people who played Valiant Hearts, what was it now, like eight years ago or so, who are going to be like, wow, that's a really fucking cool throwback, and they're going to be excited to play. Holy fuck, man. uh, This is hurting my brain. Valiant Hearts is probably seven years old now. I I don't understand what's going on with time. But anyway. This game's getting a sequel. It's going to be a mobile game. Makes it a little less interesting, also less relevant to the podcast. So we'll move on from that. Next up, they showed Returnal, the PlayStation exclusive by Housemark Returnal. It's coming to PC early 2023. I don't know. Whenever these PlayStation games come to PC, I feel like it's worth mentioning on the podcast because, you know, Xbox Game Pass is on PC. PC is generally a Windows-based machine. There's a lot of Xbox crossover with PC. A lot of Xbox fans also play PC. I just feel like... PC news is Xbox news, generally speaking, so it seems relevant. But Returnal's coming to PC. This is that, uh, yeah, that awesome, God, how do you want to, what game is this? Third-person shooting 
roguelike type game. I never played this game, but it looks really cool. Uh, it was a PS5 exclusive, and now it's going to be on PC. So, uh, again, another one of those, like, if you're someone like me who really likes PlayStation, but just was planning on picking up a PS5 later on down the the road, uh, once maybe the price drops and some more games are out, just because I'm more than happy with my Series X right now, this is just another one of those, like, maybe I don't need a PS5 after all kind of moves, because all the games that are on PS5 that I want to play are coming over to PC, you know? It's like, I didn't get the new God of War game, because I'm very certain that game will be on PC in 6 to 12 months, so why not just wait and play it then? Um, the only exception is, man, I don't know if or when we'll ever get Ratchet and Clank on PC, and that's the one I really want to play. But nonetheless, Returnal is coming to PC early next year. Um, I think that leaves, as far as like the big PS5 games, that leaves Ratchet and Clank, the new God of War, the new Horizon game. That's about it. Maybe that Demon's Souls remake. But most of these games, they're all flying all over to PC. So after that, they showed Hellboy Web of Ward. Ward? Hellboy, this is a comic series. I think it's a Dark Horse comic. It was a movie series in the early 2000s. Now there's going to be a, a new game based on it. I didn't look into this game at all, if I'm being completely honest. I just didn't personally care, but it was cool to see that that IP resurface after just, you know, considering how big superhero type stuff has been, you know, for the past 15 years, it's kind of cool to see Hellboy resurface. And maybe this is the start of making this IP relevant again. I'm not sure. Uh, they announced Post Trauma after that, which is a new horror game. Visually, it looks really cool. There was like no information on it, so I just not much to go off of, but it looked like a uh, kind of playing a mosh like PT a little bit, um, which is cool for a second there. But again, the trailer was a little odd and I couldn't get much out of it. I'm going to try to move through these pre show games a little faster. So next up, they showed another trailer for Atomic Heart, which we've seen many, many times at this point. It's coming out February 21st. This will be a day one Game Pass game. Um, Mundfish, Russian developer. Uh, no doubt in my mind, this is a day one for me. I cannot fucking wait to play this game. Uh, but Atomic Heart, saw another trailer for that. Not much more to say about it. We've been seeing it a lot lately. After that, they showed Scars Above, uh, sorry, Scars Above, which is being made by Madhead Games, coming out February 28th. A lot of games coming out around February, March that were shown at this event. This is an action-adventure game that looks kind of like Returnal, the game we just talked about from PlayStation. Returnal meets Gears of War. It's like a third-person, slower-paced, shooting-action version of like Returnal, kind of. It looks really cool. I couldn't get much out of it other than just some gameplay and uh, some tonal bits where it looks tonally and atmospherically like Returnal, but um, with a, a slower-paced, more over-the-shoulder kind of shooting kind of experience. And this game looks really cool. I, I would actually keep my eye on this and continue to follow up on it. I, I don't know. There's a lot of games like this where it's like, oh, that looks cool. What is that? Who is that? I've never seen that. And then as you get close to the release, you're just like, oh, no, that game was a little misleading. I don't know. I don't really care. Move on. So... I'm not saying that's what this game is, but it's definitely one of those games where I'm going to have to keep a tab on it and try to learn more as we get closer to it. And I feel like that's kind of the overarching story with the Game Awards this year was a lot of games like this where I'm like, that's cool, but I don't, who is that studio? What is, what is that? I don't recognize that. I'm going to have to keep an eye out on that. So that's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's just um, lots of new stuff to be keeping tabs on. Next up, they show there's a, a new update for Among Us coming out, which adds a new mode for, it's a hide and seek mode for Among Us. I won't even waste my time talking about that. No offense to Among Us. It's insanely popular. I'm sure many people listening to this podcast podcast have had a lot of fun on Among Us, and I uh, hope you continue to do so. But, yeah, there's an update there for you. And I promise we'll break it down more and more once you get into the main segment of the Game Awards, but this is just the pre-show stuff. Then they showed After Us, which is a new puzzle platformer by a new team called Piccolo. 
being published by uh, Private Division, new developer. It's a puzzle platformer game. Another one of those games where I'm like, I just, I don't really fully understand what I'm looking at. Honestly, it looked a little too puzzly for me, so I was just not very much into this game. But nonetheless, that was announced. Then they showed my favorite game. This is no doubt the game I'm most excited about that was shown during the uh, pre-show, uh, which is Replaced, coming out in 2023 uh, from Sad Cat Studios. Now, you may have seen this game early in the year. It's being marketed with Xbox. It is a at least a timed console exclusive on Xbox. It's also coming to PC. Uh, it was delayed due to the war in Ukraine, but was supposed to come out originally in 2022. Now it's coming out in 23. But this is a sci-fi-looking cyberpunk plat- platformer game with that crazy cool-looking art style. Oh, my God. This game looks so, so good. You got platformer, cyberpunk. These are my favorite fucking things. Mix this all together. I am one fucking happy camper. This art style looks so damn cool with that. Like, it's like that 8-bit with that badass, like, noir lighting shit. And it just looks so fucking good. So I'm going to play the fuck out of this game. It's got combat. It's got platforming. It's got neon lights. It's just got everything I want. I'm very, very much looking forward to this game. The second we learn more about it, I will be all over it. Because this is a Jesse game through and through. So that will be a Game Pass title. Xbox Time Exclusive. No doubt something I'm looking forward to. And then they rounded out the pre-show with a trailer for Street Fighter VI, which is now dated for June 2nd. Uh, I'm not into fighting games, so I can't even... I don't want to be dishonest and just act excited about this. There's nothing for me to say other than we got yet another trailer for this game, and it will be out on June 2nd. Next, we move into the proper Game Awards showcase, where we got all the big uh, announcements, which is, I think, where we're going to start getting hyped about some of this shit. So Jeff Keighley comes out. He says, hey, guys, huge song of the Hedgehog fan here. Watch watch me put his hands behind his back and start running fast like an anime kid. It's pretty dank. And they kicked off the show with uh, Hades 2 from Supergiant Games. Or I think they're just called Supergiant. I don't remember. Uh, but this game obviously followed up to 20, was that 2020s or 2019 Hades it's insanely popular. That game was on Game Pass for a while. Yeah, beloved, like what is it, like roguelike? hack and slash game that was just super stylish super beloved i couldn't get in this game i played it a little bit when it was on game pass it just it didn't do it for me although i really do uh, very much admire the art style i think it is a really striking looking game it's a really cool game it has a nice tone and setting but yeah i know people really really loved hades a lot so they'll be excited to see hades 2 it looks like all new characters cool female character new weapons and things like that so it'll have a little bit of a different feel and gameplay style to it which is really welcome but otherwise it looks like it's definitely more of the general um kind of gameplay loop of what the first hades was all about so they showed that that was a good kickoff nice little appetizer to what i think is overall the biggest most exciting game that was shown at the game awards this is this is the part that made me go from like oh the game awards was shit this year to like oh the game awards was yeah although overall you know the game awards to me this year overall was like a five or six out of ten like not not super super hype or anything uh but this one game in particular uh, is an outlier for sure because this game is insanely hype i'm talking about judas which is being developed by ghost story uh who if you don't know who that is that is basically irrational games which is basically the the team uh, led by Ked Levine, who is the founder, the creator, the visionary behind Bioshock. So this is basically the the new game from the guys that brought you Bioshock. They were rational games back in the day when they made Bioshock. After Bioshock Infinite, they kind of, quote unquote, d- dissolved slash reformed 
as a new team called Ghost Story. It was kind of weird. A lot of people got laid off. It was quite unfortunate. They reformed under Ghost Story. It was a much smaller team at the time. It was only like a handful, like a dozen or so employees. Uh, and then Ken Levine has slowly, over the past, wow, what's it been, nine years, almost ten years since since uh, Bioshock Infinite came out, has slowly uh, kind of built and reformed this, this team under the name Ghost Story. Um, to create something that's been a mystery. No one knows what the fuck they've been working on. And finally, we got to look at what their first game is going to be under this new name, and it is Judas, which looks so much like fucking Bioshock. This game is so unapologetically the uh, the the successor to the successor to Bioshock, and it's uh man, it's so exciting. Just the the trailer is so. The trailer is so like deliciously fucking weird and just makes no sense whatsoever, but it also looks so unmistakably like something that came from the people that made Bioshock. There's these robots, there's people dancing, it's all artsy, there's people in flames and just all this random ass shit happening. I have no clue what this game is. There's no saying based on what we're seeing here, you know, from this trailer. What's going on? There's a girl with like these telekinesis abilities and fire in her flame in her hand. So definitely they got uh They've got some similar gameplay to what Bioshock is. This this game kind of looks like to me like the spiritual successor to Bioshock as Callisto Protocol is the spiritual successor to um, to Dead Space. The weird thing is Ghost Story is still owned by and operated by Take Two. Like this is or yeah, by by 2K rather. Sorry, not Take Two. Uh, by 2K. So um, this is this is kind of weird because. It's not like they didn't have, they couldn't have potentially the access to the Bioshock IP if they wanted to make a Bioshock game. So it is a little odd in that respect when you think about it that this game has so much Bioshock DNA just oozing throughout it based on this trailer. Uh, although we don't really know too much about what the game truly is, yet they've chosen to go on and do something new, which, you know, I respect. I'd rather have new IP and do something new, but this game, no doubt clearly like you can't look at this game and not see the severe bioshock influence there's this crazy looking dog machine monster that bends down and turns into like a a fucking house or something it's just crazy shit going on none of this trailer makes sense but it's one of those things where you watch it and you're like i don't know what i just watched but also i love every second of it and i cannot wait to get my hands on this game and that is exactly where i'm feeling about this so unfortunately there's not much we saw of it other than this really just completely incoherent controller that just a controller commercial that makes no sense to us whatsoever, but we got a title. We got some gameplay footage. We've got an idea of whatever the hell this is going to be. And I'm so excited to learn more. I wish we had a date. I wish we knew we could, we could see the game in action a little bit more, but uh, honestly, I'm just, I'm just excited to see Ken Levine's next game and to see that Bioshock, the spirit of Bioshock lives on through these these amazing talented folk that that worked on the series beforehand. Um, and, and of course, Bioshock itself is also going forward. Uh, 2K has that that new team. Uh, what is it? Cloud Chamber that's working on a Bioshock Four. We know about so that is still in the works as well. We just haven't seen it yet. Uh, but Judas, oh boy, this is this is one of my most anticipated games. This is probably. As far as like games I'm really anticipating that are just like kind of far flung off in the future, this is like top of that list. So yeah, this is a great announcement. Next, they showed a 
Another trailer for Destiny 2 Lightfall. Now, we've seen this uh, this DLC before. This looks great. I'm a little off Destiny 2 right now, so I feel out of touch with the with the game. But I love Destiny 2. I will no doubt come back when this, when this uh, expansion comes out. I will absolutely be picking it up and playing it on February 28th when it comes out. No doubt that's something I'm looking forward to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this expansion just continues to look like nothing we've ever seen before from Destiny. The neon lights, the kind of, like, 80s cyberpunk future Miami vice kind of twist thing it has going on to it, which is really weird for destiny, but also really welcome. I think destiny has been going on long enough now where it's time to kind of get a little weird with it and just have some fucking fun. And that's exactly what this expansion looks to be doing. Plus grapple shot, uh, plus just looks super good. I'm excited to see where they take the story, especially considering how good the last expansion was. Um, pretty cool stuff. Next up, we got another trailer for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, which is now finally dated. It's coming out on May 26th. Very much looking forward to this game. Uh, I don't know what it is about this game, but I just have a feeling it's going to be so good. I have not played the Rocksteady Batman games still. I have them I have all purchased and downloaded, but I still haven't played them. Um, I haven't played Gotham Knights. I don't really know if I give a shit about that. But, man, there's something about this Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League game where ever since the first time they showed it, I've just been very, very confident that this is a game I'm going to love. And, yeah, the trailers continue to be super funny. They got this crazy trailer they showed where they got, like, they capture the Flash and and he, he's, like, dying. He's bleeding out. And they're trying to, like, not lose him. While at the same time, Batman's, like, lurking in the shadows. And it's revealed that Batman's here. But something's happening. Batman's, like, killing people. He's turning evil. It's really intriguing. I'm really excited to figure out what the fuck's going on in this story. And then they, they ended up with uh, with the big kicker, the real awesome, sweet um, bit of news here, which is that Kevin Conroy, the, the longstanding voice of Batman, who recently passed away, actually, just a couple weeks ago, uh, will, will be the voice of Batman in this game. So I guess he was he was working on on the game. He, he already recorded his lines and everything um, before his untimely and unfortunate passing. So the really nice thing is this guy gets to you know get gets to have one more outing as Batman, which I think is just really sweet. This is one of those celebrity deaths that you know it's just like it's it's just sad. It caught a lot of people off guard. It's kind of like one of those Chadwick Boseman type like celebrity passings where it's like no one saw it coming, no one knew, and it just it really saddened a lot of people and caught them off guard. And so. That is really cool to know that there's this whole like final performance of him as Batman that is just no one knew about. It's yet to be experienced in in, in half a year or, or so. People are going to have that opportunity to to experience that. And I think that's just really fucking cool. So that was a really nice way to like pay some homage to him, get people really excited, pay some respect and also just really, you know, look forward to this uh, one last outing. Of, of him as the voice of Batman and also just aside from that, you know, not even as disrespectful as it would be, not even leaning on him to kind of promote and sell the game with, you know, capitalizing on the tragic events that recently occurred. But just because the fact that the game looks phenomenal, <laughs> that this is just now even like further icing on the cake. So no, no doubt Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, cannot wait to play this game. Really looking forward to it. May 26th. So that, you know, that's a good little chunk there. We got we got Ghost Stories, Judah, we got D20 or D22. D, I almost said D23. This is not a Disney podcast. D2, Destiny 2, Lightfall, and then Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, which is a great back to back to back. Um, next up we got an ad for uh Xbox Cloud Gaming on on Samsung. This is like the 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 extent to which we got Xbox coverage at this this whole Game Awards this year. 
But they announced not only, you know, Samsung TVs can now support Xbox Cloud Gaming with the Xbox Cloud Gaming app. This was previously announced for 2022 models, but now they're rolling it back to last year's model TVs as well. So more people with Samsung TVs can do the Xbox Cloud Gaming app. So that was pretty cool. After that, they showed uh, Party Animals, which is that weird like ragdoll physics-like physics uh, animal fighting game, kind of like Gang Beasts a little bit if you want to put it that way. Um, this game was delayed to early 2023. It was supposed to come out this year. So now it'll be out 2023. That is also being heavily marketed with Xbox. Um, but I have no interest in that game. It looks like a party brawler. And, oh, well, after that, we got another PlayStation game coming to PC. Um, this one may be even more notable. The last of us part one, the original last of us, the one actually the version that just came to PS five, this ground up remaster of the last of us coming to PS or sorry, coming to PC on March 3rd, so, you know, the most renowned PlayStation game of all time will be available through Steam now uh, as of March 3rd. So, you know, if, if if you're an Xbox PC gamer and you've never played this game, you've never experienced The Last of Us because you are not you don't have PlayStation, boy, oh boy, I recommend this game. The first Last of Us game is a, is truly one of the greats. It's, it's, it is a must-play, so uh, I've already played it. I don't need to experience this again. I have it on PS4. This is the kind of game where it's like, I want to play it once and just remember that experience fondly for the rest of my life. So I personally have no interest in picking this up, but I think it is very, very cool that they're putting their biggest game, their most important game on PC, which is really cool. Shows their staunch and strong and dedicated support to the PC platform. It'll be only a matter of time before Last of Us Part Two uh, comes to PC, I suppose. The next... Uh, we got some confirmation of a game that's been leaking a lot. You know, release date information has been leaking a lot. Star Wars Jedi Survivor, the sequel to Respawn Star Wars Jedi um, Fallen Order from 2019. So the game with Cal Kestis, uh, the Jedi game that everyone likes a lot from Respawn, the guys that make Apex Legends and Titanfall. Um, the game is is already dated. It will be out March 17th, 2023, so in just a few months here. Like I said, we got lots of shit coming out in February and March, according to the Game Awards. So we're going to be very, very busy in the coming months with games. But yeah, this game's coming out March 17th. They show off some more gameplay. Cal Kestis has a little bit of facial hair now. He's got a, a Kylo Ren-looking hilt lightsaber, which is uh, interesting. Uh, I liked that in the trailer. It showed a little bit of like artistic homage to... like. The prequels, like the episodes one, two, and three, which is cool. They have those little battle droids, uh, which I, I thought was a nice touch because Star Wars is so obsessed with trying to avoid any aesthetic homage to that era. Um, but other than that, I gotta be completely honest. I really liked Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order when I played it in 2019, but I uh, it was one of those games where it's like I I played it out of kind of like obligation, and by the end of it, it was like I really like this. I'm really impressed with that respawn made a really competent third-person, somewhat Souls-like action Star Wars game when they're a first-person shooter developer. But at the same time, it's like, I I don't know. Like, this isn't what I want from Respawn. Like, I'm not trying to say they shouldn't make this game. I know people really like the series, and I'm sure this new one will be really great. But it's like, I want to see Respawn make a badass first-person shooter, and I know they're working on one, but, like, man... I don't know. This game this game didn't like light my imagination so much to where it's like I just need to experience this again and again and I, yeah, a sequel and then another sequel. It to me it was more like to me it was more like that was a really decent time. I don't know if I need more of it, but we'll we'll wait and see. Maybe when it comes out the response to and everything will get me hyped or something, but I know people are really excited about this game. They really enjoyed the first one, so I don't want to rain on that parade. Um, you know, March 17th, that's pretty soon. It's pretty exciting. 
I'm sure the game will do incredibly well. I know the first one did really well. And I'm glad the game did well because what it did was it definitely served as proving ground to EA games that, hey, there's plenty of demand and plenty of market for a really solid first person or sorry, first person single player narrative driven game that doesn't have to be loot boxes and games as a service and multiplayer and all those things. So I, I am grateful for this game for what it did in that regard. And I do think it is overall a pretty strong game. So that's the sequel Star Wars Jedi Survivor, March 17th. Pretty exciting stuff. The next they showed what I would say is probably my second second or third most anticipated game that was shown at the Game Awards this year, and that is a game called Earthblade, which is coming out in 2024. This game is coming from the creators of Celeste. So they, it was Maddie Makes Games when Celeste came out, but now they are uh, changing the name. I guess they've grown the team, and now the team is being uh, is using the name Extremely OK Games, so EXOK is uh is the is the name of the team going forward but oh my god you guys this game looks so good man for those who don't know um so celeste was their first game that came out in i want to say it was 2018 i played it on the nintendo switch before it was even on xbox uh, i did later come to xbox um and uh that game is so, god it's like so it's like this 8-bit super hyper difficult platformer uh, and that's all it was. It's not Metroidvania. It's not procedurally generated. It's not a, a Souls-like. It's not a roguelike. Like, I feel like Souls-like, roguelike, procedurally generated fucking Metroidvania. These are the buzz terms. Like, every indie game tries to be one of those. Kind of like how every AAA game is like, Open world RPG, open world RPG. It doesn't do, it doesn't fall under the trap of like those, those little confined buzzwords and, and, and categories that every game strives to be. This game is just a really gruelingly hard, but insanely satisfying platforming game. It's just about really creative, tight, strong platforming. And it was phenomenal. It was one of, if not my absolute favorite game of the year in 2018 when it came out, I absolutely adored Celeste. It has a really touching story about this girl just like overcoming her personal demon demons, and it's just really cute. It's just it's like one of those games where it's like it'll 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 put you in really good spirits. It's it's got a lot of heart, a lot of emotion behind it, but it has a really sweet message. And on top of that, it has the gameplay to to, to back it up, and it's just. It was one of those rare indie games where I'm like, this is such a fucking treat. Like, we God, the world needs more of this. And I have so much respect for what Celeste was and what it did. It was just such a wonderful, wonderful game. And, uh, and now we know what they're working on next. And it's it's called Earthblade. And this game has every ounce of my of my attention and my in my respect because I have no doubt that the people behind a game like Celeste are capable of making yet another masterfully crafted game. And visually, artistically, graphically, it looks exactly like Celeste. It looks like more of that very 8-bit, unassuming, nothing like too too crazy, although it is really beautiful um, sprite artwork, so not to downplay it. But the difference between this game is it looks like it retains a little bit of the platform, but that's not the major focus. Uh, in addition to the platforming, it looks like it has some sword combat as well. But it's still an action platformer, so it's not. It doesn't look like a like a roguelike or anything. Or maybe it could be wrong. It you know, they're still calling it a platformer, so hopefully that's what it is. But you know, it could be. They might be going the procedurally generated souls like direction, like everything else. But it looks like it's just a another really great platformer, but this time with a, a melee combat additional mechanic. Um, so it kind of mixes combat with platforming rather than just being all in on severely challenging, grueling. Uh, platforming so i don't know man this game is right now penned for 2024 
Um, hopefully it will come out at launch on Xbox because the first one, uh, Celeste, that, that came to Xbox a year or two later. So I'm hoping this one is a day and date Xbox title because I, I don't want to play on my Switch. I want to be able to play this thing on Xbox from the get. But nonetheless, no matter where it is, I don't give a shit. This game is only available on iPhone. I will fucking play this game. Mark my words. So yeah, that is Earthblade. Really looking forward to that game. Um, and then uh, from there, the show kind of falls apart and loses me a bit. You know, we got some really great announcements with Judah, uh, Destiny 2, Suicide Squad, Earthblade, but then it just gets into a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, anywhere from like, I don't care, to like, oh, that's cool. So, the next game was Dune Awakening, which is the open world survival MMO Dune game. This is like the second Dune game recently to get, and uh, it's cinematic stuff, no actual serious gameplay or anything, so I don't know what you want me to go off of. We knew about this game's existence, and now they're just showing a cinematic for it. That's cool. A little update. What do you want me to do with that information? No release date. Okay. So we continue to wait, but that's our update on Dune Awakening. Um, I know the Dune franchise has gotten a lot popular, a lot of popularity garnered in recent years. So that's cool. I'm sure people are excited about that. After that, they showed a trailer for Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate uh, 3, I think, uh, coming August 23rd. So that got a release date trailer. That's cool. Baldur's Gate, not really my thing. So again, I, I don't I don't know what to say about that. I'm not saying anything positive or negative, just don't have much to say. But next they showed one that I think a lot of this audience is gonna care about, which is Diablo 4. This is a really important announcement. So yeah, there's a lot of leaks and rumors about the release date of this game following up to the leading up to the game awards, and then we got it here. So June 6, 2023. 66. See what they're doing? They're trying to go for a 666 as well as they can. But yeah. June 6, 2023, Diablo 4 will be releasing. Um, they showed a new trailer for it with a release date on it. The game looks good. Again, I'm not a diehard Diablo fan. I enjoy Diablo. I think it is a pretty good game. It's pretty fun. Uh, but when it comes to dungeon crawlers, I'm, I'm broken inside. I guess I, I'd rather play like Minecraft Dungeons. But Diablo 4 it does look good. I'm sure it's going to be good. And I'll, I'll, I'll certainly give it a try, especially when it's on Game Pass. Um but uh, there was a report coming up around this game around the time that this news was happening where Diablo 4's developers were suggesting that it, may, it might be hard to meet that that June 6th release date uh, without notable periods of crunch. And so, you know, this is notable because the conversations that have been going on in the news recently in, in gaming around crunch culture, in addition to that, the flack that, you know, developer Blizzard got regarding crunch culture, harassment towards women, all these things. So it's not a good optical look for them right now. And, you know, in the midst of this games industry, that's always looking for some kind of controversy to, to jump on personally. You know, we've had this conversation many times in the past on this podcast, so I won't, I won't harp on this for too long, but I, I understand that, that crunch is a necessary evil. It's not something that everyone has to do all the time, but you know, sometimes to get the cookie made, to, to get the job done, you got to do some, you got to do crunch. Like it's got to happen. And, you know, don't, don't conflate the crunch of like someone like me or like many of us listen to this podcast right now that, you know, a lot of us probably work, you know, just day jobs and dead end jobs, just jobs that are means to an end to support ourselves and our families. And you don't, you might not necessarily be super passionate about your job. You know, there's a difference between like your boss asking you to stay two hours late on a Monday or a Friday to get a project done that you don't give a shit about versus like, wow, I am a developer working on Diablo four. This is my name on this creative project that I have the opportunity of a lifetime to work on. 
the only way we're going to get this aspect of the game done in time for release is if I stay late and I put in the extra time to make this happen. It might not be ideal, but there's a difference between a creative putting in the effort necessary to make the creative product, the artistic endeavor, the best it can be versus like, hey, uh, Walmart associate, Johnny called out sick because he got fucking drunk last night, didn't want to come into work. Can you can you do a double? You know, there's a difference. They're not the same thing. But of course, you know, the ivory tower games industry, people are just like, crunch is bad. You should only work 24 hours and then be able to make Elden Ring. And it's like, okay, whatever. So I'm tired of having the conversation, but no doubt this is a notable headline because it's going to spark some controversy and some conversation. And I think crunch is probably something that's happening at every studio in game development, whether that's what they're telling you or not. And it's a necessary evil. It's a means to an end. And it doesn't mean everyone is crunching. It doesn't mean everyone's crunching all the time. And it doesn't mean when one team is crunching, another team is as well. It just means that crunch happens. And sometimes it's what you got to do to get the project done. And, you know, I'm going to be up till fucking 3 a.m. getting this podcast edited. But it, what do you want me to do? Just not post it on Saturday? Just not post it in a timely fashion? It's what you do what you got to do to make the product happen. So, guys, what I'm here to say Diablo 4 is coming out June 6th. Look forward to it. New trailer. Bye-bye, baby. Uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see by then because by June 6th, you would think, I mean, hopefully, knock on fucking wood, this uh, Microsoft Activision deal should be done. So you wonder, like, how long before you can get this game in Game Pass if it's coming out on June 6th, so provided everything goes smoothly, which we'll get into in a little bit after the Game Awards. But, um, yeah, let's move on. Let's, let's speed it up a little bit. Next up, Bandai Namco and Amazon. This is an interesting partnership announced that uh, Blue Protocol will be coming to the West in the second half of 2023. This is a game that's already out in the East, uh, but now Amazon is working with Bandai Namco to bring it over here. It'll be a couple of Bandai Namco's internal teams working on it, and I guess Amazon might be publishing it here in the West. This is a free-to-play MMO action RPG that looks really good. It has that nice Bandai Namco anime art style that they do in games like the Tales of series. Um, this game looks great, actually. I, I absolutely want to give it a go for sure when it comes out. It's interesting. A Amazon seems really hell-bent on working on specifically MMOs. Like, they like that MMO live service kind of game. But this looks good. It looks like Bandai Namco and Amazon trying to get in a little bit on that Genshin Impact kind of money. That's my guess, at least. Um, but I don't know anything about this game. I don't know if it's really big in its other markets. I don't know where it's released. I assume it's probably available right now in Japan and Korea or something. But, uh, yeah, it looks like we'll be getting it here stateside and on the west uh later on in 2023 and honestly the, the combat looks fucking cool the graphics and the art style look nice and it, just, it looks like a nice anime titty little uh little mmo game that i'm gonna have to pour some time into and see if maybe it can grab me because uh yeah it looks good I, i'm actually i'm genuinely interested in this blue protocol check out the trailer it's um you know we gotta support our japanese games on xbox if we want to see more of this stuff right Next up, they showed Remnant 2. It's a looter shooter. I didn't care about the first Remnant, and I sure don't care about this. this and I don't mean that to be mean or, or dismissive. It's just to say, you know, Remnant is just one of those games where it's like, I, I tried to look into it when the first one came out. Didn't care. The second one didn't catch my attention either, if I'm just being honest. Another looter shooter title coming in 2023, published by Gearbox, which is now owned by Embracer. So it's basically an Embracer title, developed by Gunfire Games. So Remnant 2. I'm sure some people care about that. If they're making a sequel, someone liked the first one, right? Next up, this is actually a game I am pretty interested in. Developer Splash Damage, London-based team behind Gears Tactics, Wolfenstein Enemy Territory, Dirty Bomb, uh, have announced... This game's been leaking like crazy. Uh, but Transformers Reactivate. 
a new one to four player online action game uh, that will be having a closed beta in 2023, although a, a proper release time frame has not been announced yet. But yeah, they, they, it was just a cinematic trailer. It looked nothing like Transformers at first. And then, yeah, it was Transformers. But I, I'm really curious to know what this game is going to be. Action game is way too vague. Is it first person? Is it third person? Does it have strategy elements? Because these guys work on a lot of strategy and tactic type games. Is it going to be third person, first person? I already said that. You know, what 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 kind of gameplay loop are we looking at? I really love the idea of taking these IP that we remember from our youth and trying to make serious AAA games with them. You know, Insomniac with Spider-Man, Respawn with Star Wars, things like that. But the thing is, I'm... I'm tired of seeing it with the obvious ones. You know, it's like, oh, oh, we'll make a AAA Star Wars game. We'll make Spider-Man. We'll make Batman. It's like, yeah, but like, yeah, that's that's kind of the gimme, you know. But seeing something like Transformers, that's fucking cool. Transformers is a great IP. It's a great, it's a great children's toy that a lot of us are nostalgic for and remember fondly. But Transformers almost never gets good games. Almost never gets good games. So it's really cool to see, you know, something that looks like it's going to be a pretty high-profile game set in the Transformers universe. Speaking of Hasbro, to- Hasbro toys that I wish would get this treatment, I'm, w- I'm waiting for a fucking AAA G.I. Joe game. I think that would be really damn cool. And so, I- I- in the meantime, Transformers Reactivate, this is definitely a game that's on my list. I want to see what the hell this game is in action uh, because it sounds like something I'd be into, but if it ends up just being some kind of games-as-a-service thing that's half-baked and-, and just really shallow and just try to be gr- money-grabby, then... I'll be I'll be heartbroken, but if it ends up being some really badass story based, level based, whatever fucking third person mech shooting awesome Transformers game, um, sign me up, sign me up. Those uh those Cybertron games from the Xbox 360 era. I know Cronky always talks about them, always wants them. Uh, what was it, War for Cybertron? And I forget the name of the other one, but those games were those games were pretty cool. I remember playing the demos on the Xbox 360 back in the day when Xbox 360 had free demos and. Uh, these games were fun. It mechanically felt pretty fucking cool. It'd be nice to get something like that, but just super polished AAA and next gen. I would, I'll, I'll take it. I will fucking take it. All right. Next up, we're about, well, we're about sixty percent into all the the news. Maybe a little more. Maybe seventy percent. So let's start to kind of get through this last chunk here, because uh, I think really the best of the best has already been announced. Next, a new title from Inflection Games, a studio formed by Bioware head Aaron Flynn was revealed during the Game Awards in 2021. Uh, and sorry, <laughs> I'm just reading it. This is um, God, was Nightingale, is what I'm trying to say. Nightingale was shown again, new title from Inflection Games, which is a new studio from ex-Bioware people, including studio head Aaron Flynn. Uh, this was shown at the Game Awards last year in 2021. It is a shared world survival crafting game set in a Victoria fantasy setting. Now, this is cool for the fact that I know people are excited about it. It's old Bioware talent. The game looks cool. People are interested in it. I know last year got a lot of attention. I'm sure this year got a lot of eyes as well. But man, oh man, if you want to make me not care about your game, say these words. Survival crafting. It's like the only thing that could be worse than that is if you said it in a Victoria fantasy setting. And that's exactly what they did. Like, you need, I need all the opposite of what this game is. Shared world, I want single player. Survival crafting, I want fucking linear first person shooting. Victoria fantasy, I want, I want sci fi, I, I, I want grounded space action, whatever. I don't know. Fucking opposite of what this is. I, I, I want none of this. So 
this game continues to just not be even remotely something that's on my mind, especially seeing the gameplay of it. I'm entirely just bored out of my mind looking at it. But nonetheless, it is a notable title because Bioware, it, a lot of ex-Bioware talent. Um, clearly, this is a game that will grab a lot of eyes and ears just because that's that, that's a notable game. And that's a that's that's talent that people care about. They want to see where those guys are going. After that, they showed Company of Heroes, uh, which is coming out in just a couple months on PC on February 23rd. But this announcement wasn't about that. It was that the game is actually also coming to console later on in 2023, but they couldn't be bothered to show any gameplay of this game that's apparently coming out in a few weeks. So they just showed a cinematic. So I know Company of Heroes is a game that's been around for a while, the franchise, uh, but you're not going to show gameplay. I, I'm not going to have a hard time caring. But yeah, apparently later in 2023, there will be a console version. So this will be coming to Xbox. But until then, it's coming to PC on, 20, on the 23rd of February. Next up, oh, I forgot about this one. I'm, I'm actually pretty interested in this game as well. Uh, actually, I'm really interested in this game. Focus Entertainment is publishing a new game developed by Don't Nod. Right now, Focus Entertainment is in my good graces. These guys seem to be picking all the best fucking games to publish. So, really cool shit. These are the guys who published Evil West, actually. And Don't Nod, these are the guys behind the Life is Strange series. So, I, I love Don't Nod, even though I think their games can be a little hit or miss. Um, I, I really respect this studio a lot and I really have enjoyed, you know, when I enjoy their games, I, I truly really enjoy it. So don't nod plus focus entertainment. Let's fucking go, baby. What do they, what do they got going on here? I, I don't know. Usually focus entertainment has a good eye for like really cool action games. And so, well, what's don't nod working on. It's not a linear choice based life is strange type butterfly effect game. It is an action RPG. So very different for don't nod. They're working on a new action RPG. It's called banishers ghost of new eden which is kind of a stupid name but i'm very excited for this game it looks very badass it's supposed to come out at the end of 2023 and i, I based on what we're seeing so far this is a this is a jesse game i want to i want to play this game i want to put my hands on the controller and play the fuck out of it and uh unfortunately it is mostly cinematic what we saw um never a good thing but tonally we got we got a little snippet of gameplay at the end and tonally just it looks fucking cool. I, 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 when I see Don't Nod, I suspect really strong, I suspect really strong gameplay, or sorry, very strong storytelling. And from what we, this little snippet of what we saw in the gameplay, like this world looks alive, it looks beautiful, it looks, it looks interesting. And uh, I'm excited to get some like fun third person action gameplay in with this. Now, the one thing is they only showed footage, they specifically showed it running on a PlayStation 5. It doesn't mention other um it doesn't mention other platforms at all i suspect this game is going to be coming to xbox but there is no indication of uh, otherwise so i do think it is an xbox game as well but just just know that there is the, the potential that it's not actually let me let me look it up and see if there's anything that outright it, it acknowledges its xbox appearance let's see yeah, okay, it is coming to Xbox. Okay, that was just the PlayStation trailer I was looking at. So, yeah, it will be on Xbox for sure as well. So, yeah, they're saying end of 2023. It'll probably get delayed to 2024, but that's okay. We can be patient. This game looks cool, and I'm, I'm very interested in it. Also, an interesting setting. Don't Not usually does modern-esque settings. This looks very, like, a, like fantasy 20th, 19th century, something like that. I don't know. I'm stupid. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to keeping an eye on this. Don't Not... Uh, developer i appreciate a lot them doing an action rpg pretty fucking interesting 
Let's 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 see it. Next up, they showed Warhammer 40k Space Marine, 20, which is coming out in 2023. We saw this pretty recently. Now we're seeing it again. Saber Focus Interactive again. Um, Focus Interactive. There you go. This, this game looks surprisingly pretty good. It looks like Warhammer Warhammer Gears of War. And uh, I don't know if I'll play this game at all, but I definitely admire what this game is and what it looks like. Warhammer looks like it's getting really good in the game space. So maybe this is going to be one of those weird franchises where they're just going to work with all the right uh, partners to just make some really damn good Warhammer games. But this game continues to look like a nice, like, double eh, A kind of budgety looking Gears of War type game in the Warhammer universe. And I'm, uh, I think there's space for it. So let's 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 do it. Why not? All right, last five games or so. Next, they showed Meet Your Maker. I tried to watch this trailer like three times. I just don't understand what the fuck this game is. And I really don't like it. And then when I then when I looked into it further, I was like, that's why I don't like this game. It's being developed by Behavior Interactive. These are the Dead by Daylight guys. Dead by Daylight is the Chipotle of game developers where it's like everyone loves it. And I'm just like, what the fuck do you see in these people? But nonetheless, they're working on a new game called Meet Your Maker. It's a post-apocalyptic first-person building and raiding game. Again, if you want to completely turn me off from your game, describe it as a building and raiding game. That sounds about as fun as like a, a painting and drying game. Like I just, no, no thank you. But uh, there you go, Dead by Daylight guys, they're making a new game. Uh, next up, unexpected, but I guess it, it does make sense because we knew Toys for Bob was working on a new non-Call of Duty project. Uh, Crash Team vs. Team Rumble was announced. So Crash Team Rumble, yeah, I think it's called Crash Team Rumble is the name. I don't know. Set for release in 2023. Developed by Toys for Bob, the guys that did Crash 4. It's about time. This game is a team-based platformer where players control either heroes or villains in a team versus team rumble. Don't fully know what that is. It looks kind of like a spinoff title. Reminds me a little bit of Crash Bash from the PlayStation 1, but Crash Bash was a party game. This is saying it's a platformer, but it looks like it has party game type elements to it i don't know this looks fun i like I, i'm not crazy about crash I, i'm a huge platformer fan it's like my favorite genre still to this day but crash is just one of those series that's traditionally just hasn't caught my attention all that much in fact the, my favorite crash games were always the spin-off ones so i feel like this kind of has potential to be kind of interesting and i'm really just more than anything pleased to see toys for bob getting to make something that isn't call of duty um, especially because, you know, months ago we had that story that there was the rumor Toys for Bob was working on another platformer, another crash, something that wasn't Call of Duty, who knows what. And it looks like this is it. And I'm glad to see that they're able to flex their creative muscle and do something else. Because especially with that Skylander series, they really proved that they have the chops to make some really great all-ages family games. And I, I want to be able to continue to see them do that rather than just be the fucking Warzone 2.0 support team that they've been. So this is this is exciting on all fronts. It looks like a, a pretty interesting crash game. Uh, pretty interesting to see them not have to be beholden to Call of Duty. And also, this is all going to be part of Team Xbox by the time this game is coming out, which is just kind of crazy to think that this award show, it's like you got destiny which is like the 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 team behind the poster child of xbox which is halo but they're owned by sony now and then you got crash bandicoot which is a team which is a franchise that is synonymous with playstation despite not being owned by playstation for a long time but is now about to be owned by xbox and just what the fuck none of this makes sense but 
I thought that was pretty cool. It was, it was nice. It's, it's insane to think that I grew up on these like 90s character action platformer games. And now it's so fucking rare to see a game like this. That's like, whoa, how refre- refreshing a 3D platformer in a sea of post-apocalyptic first person building and raiding open world MMO RPG procedurally generated Metroidvania games. It's like, wow, Souls-like, <laughs> of course, Souls-like, can't forget that. So I don't know. It's just whenever I see a game like Crash Team Rumble I'm, or just anything interesting like this, I'm like, wow, what a standout title. That sure does stick out in my brain, you know, among the wreckage of Remnant 2, Company of Heroes 3, uh, Lords of the Fallen, Remnant 2. I already said that because it's all the same shit. It's just like over and over and over again. And it's like Crash Bandicoot. It's like, oh, cool. That's different. I like that. What's that? What's that? Color. Oh, my God. Color. Um, but anyway. Oh, I, I keep forgetting. There are there are games. Spoiler alert! I already said it. The Lords of the Fallen. They showed this again. Souls like RPG. It's a reboot of the 2016 game that no one ever gave a shit about. They didn't put a date on it. I don't care. I don't care if that makes me a bad podcast host. The Lords of the Fallen. This game can fucking shit bricks for all I care. It's just. I, I, all right. Next up, they this is the last game they showed. Like new game that I was like, damn, that game looks fucking good. Published by 505. This game is called Crime Boss Rock K City. Coming out March 28th. Again, so many games like coming out of nowhere in March and February. But it's coming out on March 28th on PC via the Epic Game Store. And then later in the year, it will come to Xbox and other consoles. But we don't have a date. So sometime in 2023 for Xbox is a, uh, a co-op first-person sh- shooter set in a seedy underbelly of 90s Florida. This game looks like GTA Vice City, basically, like a uh, modern-day GTA Vice City meets, like, the Mafia series from 2K. And, um, fuck, man, this game looks really good. Like, I, I was really excited about this. They got they got a bunch of celebrities uh, to, to, to voice act in this game, and uh, it looks like it's going to be... I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know what to make of this. 505 usually does like double a type games. And so I don't expect this to be, you know, some super highly polished triple a grand theft auto killer or anything like that. But it definitely looks like it's a game that can offer a lot of entertainment in a time where we're all kind of just waiting for more GTA. And it looks really cool. I don't, you know, it's a first person shooter. It's not an open world third person game. And it's a, it's not a do what you want kind of game. It looks like it's going to be story based linear level based shooting, but I don't know, aesthetically and tonally just has so much Grand Theft Auto oozing out of it that it got me excited in that way. But this game, this game looks cool. You know, first person shooters, some of my favorite games of all time. This setting, awesome. This time period, awesome. This synopsis, just fucking cool. Again, it's a game that sticks out so much in all the best ways in in a world of just like decrepit, decay knights and orcs and medieval torture and just i don't fucking give a shit man i don't it doesn't mean anything to me so i don't know a, a, a uh oh there's a I, I didn't realize this there's actually gameplay footage that has come out since the game was announced so as as we talk i'm skimming through this a little bit um it looks a little rough around the edges it definitely looks like a uh a double a kind of budgety game but man a mafia based first person shooter set in this kind of world i i just don't I'm so excited to see what it is. It looks actually kind of a little bit like Left 4 Dead style a little bit uh, where it's this four-player co-op. And I, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm so excited about the prospect of having something new and unique like this. And it definitely caught my interest. I'll, I'll be I'll be giving this game a go without a doubt when it comes to Xbox. 
later next year. But that is a uh, crime boss Rock K City, which I think is a terrible name, but you know, cool nonetheless. Cool has Kim Basinger, Damien Poitier, Poitier, Poitier. I, I never know how to say that. Danny Trejo. Yeah, it's got some. Uh, it's got some famous names. Danny Glover. That's the only character. That's the only actor who I genuinely know very well. I don't know who Michael Rooker is, but I assume he's an actor. So it's got Vanilla Ice in it. So there you go. So yeah, it's got a it's got a pretty decent st- uh, star cast cast not star, but um yeah man. Anyway, I- I'm looking forward to this game a lot. Speaking of city urban night game whatever, I'm trying to get to Cyberpunk is what I'm trying to say. They showed a trailer for Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty, which is the big Cyberpunk DLC campaign add on whatever coming out in 2023. So we got a trailer for it. The big uh, twist is that Idris Alba will be a character in this game. I, I mean, he'll probably be a different. He won't be played as Idris. It will be Idris Alba playing a character in the in the Cyberpunk universe. I guess kind of like how they had Keanu Reeves for the main game. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, just a trailer for the new Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty DLC, which I know a lot of people have been looking forward to. Uh, I can't get excited about this because I haven't played the main game, but it did it did make me want to kind of go back and play this game because it does look damn good in a world where we're not we're not looking at this game the way we used to two years ago. So now it's just kind of exciting because we can just look at it for the game it was supposed to be all along, and it looks damn good. And then lastly, the last game they showed was the Bandai Namco FromSoft developed. Armored Core 6. Yes, that's right. FromSoft, they're finally making a non-Souls-like game for the first time in a long time, and they're making Armored Core 6, which is the series they used to work on before the Souls uh, games. Uh, It's called Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon, coming out in 2023. We'll see about that. It is the first entry in the Armored Core series since 2012, uh, and it is a third-person action shooter. I've always been interested in Armored Core, but it's just it's not my thing. I played one of them on PS3 a long-ass time ago for a little while. I know this is a game that wouldn't catch my attention if I if I try to sit down and play it too much, but it's a game I appreciate a lot more than Souls games. Like when I see this, I'm like, you know, I, I compare it to like Elden Ring or Dark Souls. It's definitely a game that is much more up my alley in terms of its genre, its setting, the kind of character you play as. Mechs are cool, flying around, shooting shit, destroying cities, being a mech robot. That's badass. That's just cool. So I want to give I want to give FromSoft credit where credit's due, but it's just um. I don't know, man. They, it was just a cinematic. I, I, I'm interested to see this game in action. What you know, what an Armored Core game can look like in 2023 versus you know what they looked like a decade earlier, um, and and just see kind of how FromSoft has changed after a decade of so much success, being so far removed from this franchise, working on these these uh, Elden Ring kind of games, and and where how that affects their approach to coming back to a series like this. So that'll be interesting as well. But yeah, I, I'll keep an eye out on this game. I. I could see myself giving it a go, but that's more of like a if it comes to Game Pass thing. Uh, I don't know if that I would buy this outright just to find out I still don't really care for Armored Core. But nonetheless, it definitely looks cool. Totally, it was a really cool trailer. Something worth keeping an eye out. But it, nonetheless, it's it, always cool to see notable teams working on, working on something different, something new. But that was it for the Game Awards. Uh, the only other thing of, of note is at the end of the show, the very end when they were announcing Elden Ring as the Game of the Year, some fucking kid got up on stage and hijacked the mic and said, uh, shout out or to nomination for his uh, Orthodox, what do you say? He said, Orthodox Rabbi um, Bill Clinton and then got arrested. So that was 
in my opinion, that was the best part of the Game Awards. I don't know how the fuck this kid successfully got up on stage. He kind of snuck up there while the guys from FromSoft were getting on stage to accept their award. They were giving their speech. You know, they had the guy translating from Japanese to English for the audience. They had the other guy from FromSoft. So they had a couple guys up there. They're standing up there with Jeff Keighley. And then as they're wrapping up their speech, this kid just kind of slips in through all of them on stage already, grabs the mic, and it just takes it over and hijacks and starts saying, crazy fucking shit about a rabbi named Bill Clinton and then gets arrested. And I, I wish I was making this up, but that is just the best part of the game war. It's like you just watched me rattle off every game that was shown and it went from like, Oh, I don't give a shit to like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. But none of that is more interesting than this fucking kid who got arrested for being an absolute fucking moron at the end of the game awards. And that is just, that's just amazing, man. That's we need more of that. Do kind of stuff like that. And you'll make the game awards extra long. You can make six hours next year. If you get fucking Kanye West to get up there and say some crazy, crazy fucking shit. So at this point, you know, just whatever, man, we're, we're, we're growing all out with these absolute nine Chan fucking trash bags. And I, and I'm personally just enjoying the hell out of it in the worst way possible. Of course, but um, no, all joking aside, <laughs> that is it for the Game Awards. Um, obviously, as you can tell, stunning lack of support from Xbox. I think all of us were, were expecting something. I know people were like, oh, maybe we'll get Fable. Uh, my, my money was on Hellblade because Hellblade 2 was announced at the Game Awards in 2020. I thought two years later, now is the perfect time to give us a really full, in-depth gameplay reveal at at what this game looks like and plays like and nothing dude we got absolutely nothing no redfall no forza no starfield no fable nothing no perfect dark absolutely nothing we got nothing and uh xbox fans were rightfully like just what the fuck dude like playstation sweeping the show award after award for, for horizon forbidden west god of war all these games they got nintendo's even getting some fucking gimme points for splatoon 3 and shit like that but xbox nothing they got it they got an award for as dusk falls which is kind of like a you know smaller second party whatever but they they didn't have any announcements they didn't have anything cool going on and sarah bond and phil spencer were there in the audience the camera kept panning over to them and they never got up on stage to say we're buying sonic just to make jesse a happy boy they never did that once and so it's you know it's a bad look um honestly but just just because of what a what a rough year it's been for Xbox and Xbox fans with the lack of first party content. And uh, Aaron Greenberg um, came out and, and, and spoke about this, responded to it late, later after the, the AIM Awards and said, you know, just to kind of alleviate the concerns and said, we have a lot planned to share with, and are incredibly excited for the year ahead for 2023. Appreciate folks eager, learn, eager, eager to learn and see more. Timing is always key, but don't worry. You will not have to wait too long for what's next from us to kind of say like, Hey, 2023, we got you, but man, that's, it's worrisome, man. 30 studios, Xbox just doesn't have a whole lot to say or show right now. And it's just kind of unacceptable at this point. You know, their big games for next year are games that were already in development before they bought Bethesda. Bethesda is kind of carrying the fucking weight. You know, if we lived in a world where Microsoft never bought Bethesda, 2023 would be a story of there are no games coming to Xbox in 2023, you know, because Redfall would come out on Xbox and PlayStation because it'd be a multi-platform game. Starfield would come to Xbox and PlayStation because it'd be a multi-platform game. And we would be looking at 23 as, yeah, I mean, everyone's putting out games except Xbox. The only reason Xbox is going to have games is because they bought a team that was already working on some games that will be ready next year. 
And so, I don't know, man. That's that's a bad look. And I feel like this gets overlooked so much where people are like, Xbox fans are so quick to defend. They're like, no, Xbox has got games, man. We're going to have Starfield next year. We're going to have Starfield and um, Redfall. And it's like, bro, those games would have come out with or without Xbox. You got to understand that. Like, I'm excited for those games too. I'm going to play both of those games. And I'm grateful that they're going to be in Game Pass so I don't have to buy them. That's really awesome. It's really exciting as a consumer that I get that, that kind of ease of access and that kind of low barrier to entry but like we'd be getting those games with or without xbox's involvement so the fact that we're all sitting here just like oh yeah xbox has got some stuff planned it's like no they fucking don't it's like people who were saying last year like well you know xbox had some great first party games they had they had um they had uh psychonauts 2 it's like dude i played psychonauts 2 the game was awesome it was really good don't don't fucking kid yourself and go around lying to people saying Psychonauts 2 was an Xbox exclusive or like an Xbox first party. It's like, no, it, no, it wasn't. Xbox bought Double Fine late into the development of that game and sure, gave them some money so they were able to inject some more development costs and more development time into that and make the game even better than it would have been without Xbox, no doubt. Xbox had an impact on how that game ended up being as good as it was, no doubt. But we would have got that game without Xbox. And so what I'm wondering is, where's the support from like the OG teams that Microsoft bought a long enough time ago that it would be like, oh yeah, that's an Xbox game, you know? We happy few. I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at you, I'm looking at you, Compulsion Games. Where are you guys? I'm looking at I'm you know fucking um, I'm looking at State of Decay. Like where where are we? What what's going on with Undead Labs? Like what what's going on? The initiative. All these all these Xbox teams. Like where are the games? Where are the fucking games? And Hellblade 2 is one of those games where I, I think it's been long enough that Xbox has owned them that's like, yeah, man, Hellblade 2 is an Xbox game. I believe it. You know, that's a game that exists and is funded by and is is done under the tutelage and ownership of Xbox. So it's like, where is it, man? Let's fucking play it. Let's see it. And it just seems like every time something is authentically Xbox, it's in development hell and it's just nowhere to be seen. And I'm not trying to be super down. I know it sounds like I really am, but like. I don't know. I feel like we just need to be really honest about these things because I love Xbox. You know, I'm gushing about my Series S and how much I'm loving that. I always love playing my Series X. I have plenty of games to keep me busy. I'm well-fed. I'm well-kept with my gaming habits. You know, I'm really looking forward to getting back in the Callisto Protocol. If anything, I am more than content with where I am and what I got to play video game-wise and what Xbox has to offer me. But if I'm trying to analyze and interpret the news and the situation for xbox right now and relay that as the podcast host and the news interpreter and analyst for this this show which is my job as your podcast host then i have to be brutally honest and say where the fuck are the damn games what is your excuse how is it that every one of these first party teams that wasn't recently recently acquired and already had a game in the works i'm talking about from the ground up Games that were built from stem to stern under Xbox's ownership. How come all of these fucking teams can't get a game across the finish line? It's a problem. And then when you do get a game across the finish line, it's Halo Infinite. And it's like missing 30% of its content at least. It's it's a it's it looks really bad. It's it and it sucks because it's like as someone who's so satisfied with Game Pass and is more than happy with the games I have to play right now, this comes less from a play, a point of personal frustration because I want to get my hands on that next game and more from a place of like, I just want to see Xbox kill it, man. I, I, it's so exciting to see the potential. They're positioned so well, dude. They have the perfect hardware. They have the perfect services. They have the perfect will, like like um, goodwill from audiences and, and just their, their audience is so 
ready to go to bat for them and to fight for them and to be excited for them, but they just can't deliver on the one fucking thing they need. And Sony's over here scooping up all the awards because they, they got all the games with the with the dads and the dead kids and the fucking journeys across the land. And they got Nintendo swooping up all the awards because they fucking got your nostalgia by the ball sack. And then they got fucking China buying up all the awards with Genshin Impact and fucking Tencent. But Xbox is over here and they're just like, we got no games but the best console and the best services for you. And it's like, cool, but where's the fucking games, man? I, I don't know, man. That's a... I'm not even as upset about it as I sound. It's just that it is. Um, it sucks because at the end, like like I said, it's I'm satisfied with what I have to play, but I'm but I'm also rooting for Xbox. I want to see them come out and kill it. And 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 the frustrating thing is, I think so much of us feel and see it is that if Xbox just had the games, that one fucking piece of the puzzle they don't have, if they just because they have the teams, they have the goodwill, They have the marketing, they have the console, they have the services, they have all the products, all the accessories. If they just had the fucking one piece, that those games, the actual fucking thing that matters, the games. How could you not say Xbox is absolutely on top of the world? They're number one, they're just fucking killing in the games industry right now. Because if they had the fucking games out right now, dude, what what are you going to do? Go buy a PS5 that costs more than a Series X and doesn't have the best streaming service in the world, doesn't have the best subscription service in the world, doesn't have the best games in the world, doesn't have access to the best teams in the world, all the best everything in the world. Like, Xbox is just fucking king. It's just missing the one thing, dude. (laughs) It's uh, it's frustrating because in a lot of ways, the Series X S uh, console generation was off to just such an incredibly strong start. And now it kind of feels like we're back in that Xbox One generation where it's like, I was happy. I enjoyed the Xbox One. I really love that generation. Look at it fondly. But yeah, we definitely needed some more games than what we had. And right now it's like, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and tell you Xbox had a great year because they had Pentiment and As Dusk Falls and finally grounded went from beta release to proper 1.0 release. Like that's not that's not a lineup. That's not sufficient. And, it, and if you tell me it's just 2022, we'll come back next year and it'll be great. Great, but I'm not really convinced that because they bought Bethesda while Redfall and Starfield were well into development that suddenly Xbox has games because that might solve 2023's problems, but it doesn't solve 2024, 2025's problems of why the fuck can't your other teams get games over the finish line? And we, We've had this conversation a million times, but we'll leave it at that. I, I am confident 2023 is going to be a really fun year for Xbox and we're going to have some really great games to play. And I am confident that Xbox has some really fun messaging to share with us. You know, as we get to E3, it's coming back, the Summer Game Fest. Xbox is probably going to have a streaming event or two of their own. They like to participate in Gamescom. So I'm sure we're going to have plenty of really fun events and really great announcements and awesome gameplay reveals and things to to look forward to in 2023. But if this is how you're going to end an already abysmal year for Xbox, damn. The last week of the year for meaningful news and these were the two big these are the three big stories Xbox had this week. They had nothing to say at the game awards. They're raising the price of first party games, of which they don't even have. And the FTC is trying to take them to court on their Activision acquisition. Those are the those are the top three Xbox stories that we're gonna use to to bow out of 2022. Not not a great look. But speaking of Activision, let's move into that. It's the other big story of the week. Told you it's going to be a monstrous week. We're already two hours in the show, and we haven't even gotten to the other big story. So buckle up. Let's take another little break and uh, talk about Activision Blizzard. 
Okay, here we go. It's the Activision part. This was originally, man, I was I was all like pent up for this. I I tried to write like good transitions to reach, you know, to lead one part of the story into another. And there's uh, just kept growing and growing earlier this week. I was like, okay, we got like four updates on the Activision story. And then before I was recording, we were at five and or six, I think we were at six parts. And then uh, and then today it rose to eight. So <laughs> I tried to tie all these stories together as best as I could to try and build one cohesive narrative, but of course it just keeps getting more and more out of whack. But here we go. I've streamlined it. It should be pretty cohesive. We'll, we'll take stops in between stories where necessary to try and digest some of what we're reading. But this is from an amalgamation of stories from VGC and Windows Central, and we're just putting it all together and let's, uh, let's, let's go at it. Here's our eight-part series of Activision Microsoft updates for this week alone. Part one, okay. The chair of the FTC may be willing to approve Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard to avoid a messy vote split, has been claimed. A new report by the New York Repo- sorry by the New York Post cites FTC insiders who claim that the that of the four person panel currently investigating the proposed deal, two may be looking to side with Microsoft. According to a report, the panel consists of three Democrat members and one Republican. The latter. Christine Wilson has previously suggested she supports the proposed deal. Now the New York Post now the New York Post source claims that the, at least one of the three Democrats is also leaning towards approving Microsoft's uh, deal leading to a potential 2-2 vote or even more if the Democrats decide to back the deal. Since this would potentially damage Khan's attempt to block the deal or take it to court, it may it, it, sorry, it is being claimed that she may prefer to agree a settlement in which Microsoft makes concessions. This could be similar to the concessions Microsoft is reportedly expected to offer to European Union regulators as reported last week, including a 10-year Call of Duty licensing deal with Sony. Now let's move on to part two where the matters of those proposed concessions with Sony expound. So let's let's dive into that. So Microsoft President Sarah, uh, Brad Smith has provided details on the company's offer to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation for at least another decade. Last month, Xbox maker told the New York Times that it offered Sony a 10-year Call of Duty deal. And on Monday, Brad Smith confirmed that it was the case that in an opinion piece written on the Wall Street Journal in which he says... Quote, Sony has emerged as the loudest objector to this acquisition. It's as excited about this deal as Blockbuster was about the rise of Netflix. Its main, um, its main, that's, that's, that's a dig. The main supposed potential is anti-competitive risk Sony raises is that Microsoft would stop making Call of Duty available for PlayStation, but that would be economically irrational. A vital part of, my, of Activision Blizzard's Call of Duty revenue comes from PlayStation game sales. Given the popularity of crossplay, it would also be disastrous to the Call of Duty franchise and to Xbox itself, alienating millions of gamers. That's why we're offering Sony a 10-year contract to make each new Call of Duty release available on PlayStation the same day it comes out on Xbox. We're open to providing the same uh, commitment to other platforms and making it legally enforceable by regulators in the U.S., the U.K., and European Union. However, Sony does not seem interested in speaking up on the matter, even working with Microsoft in any capacity to move the deal along. As we continue into part three of the story, we learn that the head of Microsoft of Xbox has claimed that Sony is showing the little willingness to come to the table and bid on an agreement over Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Sony isn't interested in negotiating with Microsoft um, over Call of Duty, Phil Spencer suggests in an interview with Bloomberg, to which he says, quote, there's been one game 
industry participant that's really been raising all the objections, and that's Sony. They've been fairly public about the things that they that did not meet their expectations, but from where we sit, it's clear that they're spending more time with regulators than they are with us trying to get this deal done. Spencer added, our intent is to become more relevant on more screens. We have a pretty good idea of how to build a win-win relationship with Nintendo, and frankly, Sony. And quote, with Sony's continued silence and Microsoft's earnings to get this deal done before regulators shoot it down, Microsoft announced a series update regarding the deal this week in which they said, and this is as we move into part four, Microsoft has committed to releasing Call of Duty games on Nintendo platforms as well as Steam for the next 10 years if it is successfully acquires, if it successfully acquires Activision Blizzard, Phil Spencer stated. The Xbox boss took to Twitter to make claims saying that, quote, Microsoft has entered a 10-year commitment to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo following the merger of Microsoft and Activision Blizzard King. He added, Microsoft is committed to helping bring more games to more people however they choose to play. Spencer then followed up with a second tweet making a similar commitment to PC players. I'm also pleased to confirm that Microsoft is committed to continue to offer Call of Duty on Steam simultaneously to Xbox after we have closed the merger with Activision Blizzard King, he wrote. The last Call of Duty game was released that released on Nintendo platform was the Wii U version of Call of Duty Ghost back in 2013 and allowed players to use the Wii remote to aim with motion controls. Spencer did not state in which year he expected the first Microsoft published Call of Duty to appear on Nintendo, but Spencer also spoke to the Washington Post about the commitment and was a, and was asked about the potential time frame for Call of Duty to return on Nintendo, in which he basically goes on and says, once we get into the rhythm of this, our plan with it, with Call of Duty on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC, it would also be coming to Nintendo at that same time once we get into that rhythm. When, we, when asked if the Switch would be able to handle Call of Duty, Spencer cited Microsoft's multi-platform title Minecraft as an example of such a generation spending projects and how it could work. He said, quote, we would do this with Minecraft as well, where we do a specific work to make the game run well on Nintendo Switch and the Silicon and support the platform completely. We do the same thing when we ship with PlayStation 5. Minecraft and Call of Duty are different games, but from how you get those games on Nintendo, how you run development team, it's targeting multiple platforms. That's experience we have. And then finally, before we take a break here, we move into part five, where Valve slash Steam co-founder and CEO Gabe Newell responds to this news by backing Microsoft up, consequently making PlayStation look like little bitches. As VGC reports, Valve confirmed it had received a draft agreement for a long-term Call of Duty deal, but that it wasn't necessary for several reasons. Quote, we're happy with Microsoft. We're happy that Microsoft wants to continue using Steam to reach customers with Call of Duty and Activision once the Activision deal is done. Valve boss Gabe Newell wrote in a statement provided to Kotaku, "Quote: Microsoft has been on Steam along with for a long time, and we will take it that signal." that they are happy with the game's reception to that, the work we are doing. Our job is to keep building valuable features for not only Microsoft, but for all of Steam customers and partners. Microsoft offered us and sent us a draft agreement for a long Call of Duty commitment, but that wasn't necessary because A, we're not believers in requiring any partner to have an agreement that locks them into shipping games on Steam into the distant future. B, Phil Spencer... Phil Spencer and the games team at Microsoft have always followed through on what they told us they would do, so we trust their intentions. And C, we think Microsoft has all the motivation they need to be on the platforms and devices where Call of Duty customers want to be. Let's stop there for a minute. This will go into a part six, seven, and eight, but let's stop there for a minute because we got a lot to dissect first here. So at the top of this, I think we get to the, the crux of what's happening here, which is this FTC thing, because a lot of this was just working with European regulators and fighting back and forth with Sony and building these concessions to get things moved along in Europe. But however, once the FTC in the US got involved, 
that's when it started looking like a potential game over maybe in the on the horizon. However, what we're learning here is this is a lot of that U.S. politics performative bullshit where it's not about getting a single goddamn thing done. It's about stupid party lines making claims to back themselves and to build their fucking images because politicians don't actually do things to help working class Americans ever with a single goddamn thing. They just posture, they just posture themselves to make themselves look a certain way, to build a certain support group and to fucking help themselves and do literally nothing to benefit the entire world because they're just the fucking worst. So what we have here is the FTC is not directly taking this to court. They're not in this context. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to this later in the later stories. So I'm just reading these in the order that they came out throughout the week, but the FTC is basically, basically what the FTC is trying to do is they're trying to propose the whole, we will litigate this. We will take this as far as we need to, if we need to, and these politicians are basically saying, okay, it's we want this image that we are going to attack big tech and that we're going to hold them, take them to task and make sure that they're not monopolizing these industries and that, you know, it's fair, blah, 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 because we, we apparently, all of a sudden politicians apparently give a shit about trying to hold big corporations accountable, which is absolute asinine bullshit. Um, and so basically what they're doing is this performative action to be like, what we'll do is we'll raise the concern. We'll do the interview. We'll do the interviews with all the news outlets, and we'll propose the potential, you know, lawsuit. And then what we'll do is we'll recommend a, a series of concessions, and then Microsoft can do the concessions, do the things we're asking them to do, and then it will look like we took them to task. They had to backpedal, change a bunch of things. We won and got a bunch of change made, and then the deal went through because it was, you know, it was changed accordingly in a way that, you know, makes us look good. And that's basically what's happening. It's a lot of performative bullshit. Nothing here seems to be happening off this context alone. It's just a bunch of FTC saying, hmm, it looks like we can get Microsoft to make some changes here and there. This will be beneficial to our political our political slants and our stories and our kind of, our, our you know, our fucking political resumes to make it look like we took a big corporation like Microsoft to task and made them change a deal that they were making to make it more, you know, competitive, friendly, and less monopolistic. And we'll get into more of what that all means in this later story. I would have dived deeper into this part now. It's just that right before I started recording, this story got brought to the next step in the process. So we'll come back to that in a second. Let's talk about those concessions themselves and what that all means, where Sony is basically bitching and moaning, going to all the news outlets, all the regulatory bodies, complaining on and on and on about Microsoft, but they refuse to sit down, you know, unless Phil Spencer and Brad Sam, Brad Smith are are lying. Uh, Sony is basically just refusing to sit down and talk with Microsoft about this 10-year deal because that's not what Sony wants. They're not trying to guarantee the 10-year deal. They want this acquisition shot down. They want it to not happen. And for the longest time, I, I didn't know what they wanted. I didn't know if they were just trying to delay things, if they were trying to get concessions. But at this point, it seems pretty obvious that PlayStation wants this deal dead and they will take nothing less than that. And so they are basically just ghosting Microsoft and refusing to work with them in any capacity. And so Microsoft's, and this is this is amazing, this, this ballsy move Microsoft does, we're like, okay, Sony's not going to work with us, so what we're going to do is we're going to make our intentions aware to the public and to the politicians and to the media by just making the deal we want to make with Sony, but they won't fucking make with us, with other partners so that it shows how open we are 
to making changes and playing nice and doing this by the book and as it should be. And it makes Sony look bad for just bitching, moaning, kicking, and screaming and not willing to work and make the necessary changes to make sure this is a favorable deal for all. And so that is what this whole, I think that's at the core of this, committing 10 years to Nintendo, committing 10 years to PC. I think Microsoft wanted Call of Duty on Nintendo no matter what. Again, it's it's the plans, you know, getting Xbox on as many screens as possible, getting Game Pass on as many platforms as possible, getting people to engage with these games, spend money and grow the Xbox brand and platform and IP as much as possible by putting it everywhere they can. I think that was already a given, but now Microsoft has been given this unique opportunity to be like, well, we were going to do Call of Duty on Nintendo anyway, and we were never going to take Call of Duty away from PC and Steam anyway. So let's just use this as an, you know, an opportunity to be like, okay, that 10-year deal we're trying to work out with Sony, we'll just give it to the other guys without them asking just to kind of show and you know, kind of peacock to the world. We're willing to play nice. The other guys aren't. And then, so like, that's that's a smart move on Microsoft's part. I think it's actually a very, a very good tactic. It looks very good. It makes PlayStation look very, very childish and, sh- and stupid. But the thing that makes this so fucking funny is the fact that Gabe Newell <laughs> interjects, or inter- not interjects, but responds, rather, and says what he says, which is basically just like, that's really cool that Microsoft's willing to offer all these, you know, concessions and deals, but we don't need that. We trust them because in a way, you know, Nintendo, not so much, but Steam is just as, just has just as much to gain or lose here as PlayStation because Call of Duty is fucking massive on Steam. It's a huge, you know. Steam gets a rip on every uh, every copy of Call of Duty sold, uh, um, the, just the same as PlayStation does whenever Call of Duty sold on PlayStation's platform. And so, yeah, there's there's tons and tons and tons of fucking money for for Valve to Valve Corporation, the owners of Steam, to make by having Call of Duty on that platform. But they know they know how this works. They knows that they. This is the thing is Microsoft has been so transparent about this, and Steam is basically confirming that, which is like, listen. No one can buy Call of Duty and have it be a successful platform by removing it from the other players. Because Call of Duty takes so much goddamn money to make. You see the fucking splash screens when you start that game up. It takes like 50 first person, sorry, 50 like full AAA teams just to develop one of these goddamn games. They're way too expensive to make. You can't make a game like Call of Duty and relegate it to one platform. And they know that. So they're like, yeah, of course they want to keep it on PC. That's what it really comes down to. Steam knows, you know, Valve knows that Call of Duty has to be on PC in order to continue to make that multiplayer community thrive. Call of Duty lives and dies by by its online community. So if you were to take that game from PlayStation, take that game from Steam, you're just fucking killing it. So, of course, what Microsoft wants to do is the exact opposite and grow it bigger. If you put Call of Duty successfully on Nintendo Switch, like how they got Apex Legends on Switch, if you can successfully pull it off, that's nothing but a good thing because all that's going to do is help to offset the money you're hemorrhaging because your Xbox audience is now getting Call of Duty through Game Pass. It's actually quite strategic because you think about it, it's like in, in a world where Microsoft owns Call of Duty, they're not making money on Call of Duty on Xbox anymore because people aren't buying it on Xbox. They're getting it through Game Pass. So how do you make up for that? Well, now you put the game on Nintendo Switch, which has a way bigger install base than, than Xbox does anyway. 
And now you make money on the Switch audience by selling them Call of Duty and selling them skins and selling them Warzone crap. And they spend money on it. So now you're making money off the PlayStation community, the Nintendo community, the Steam community. And even though the Xbox community isn't buying the game at $70 because they're playing it from Game Pass, you're still getting that engagement. Plus, they're buying skins in Warzone. They're buying DLC and all that shit. So if anything, this is Microsoft's way to have their cake and eat it too because you can get the biggest game on the market like Call of Duty into Game Pass while also still having it be, having it be just as profitable as it's always been by expanding it to platforms like Nintendo Switch. It's really like, obviously that, that was always their plan all along. And by, by being given this opportunity, they can make it seem like, well, we were trying to work out concessions with Sony, but just to prove how much of a team player we are and how much of a team player they aren't, here's us making the commitment to other partners that we didn't even have to make it to because these guys aren't fighting us tooth and nail about this deal. And then on top of that, one of those partners, Gabe Newell, Steam, Valve, they come out and they're just like, nah, we don't even need the commitment. We, we trust them. Because they know, like Game Noel knows, it's like no one can own Call of Duty and just not have it on other platforms. You need that massive install base, that massive platform availability in order to make it profitable. That's how you can fund a new Call of Duty annually. That's how you can keep 10 fucking AAA game developers with stabs of hundreds of people working on Call of Duty 365 all the time. Is because you're making buku fucking bucks between Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and now Nintendo. It's obvious. And so this is this just compounds the thing and builds up Xbox's argument. And I think at this point, honestly, we have all the fuel. Xbox has all the fuel they need to really win over that conversation, that argument with the CMA over in Europe. That's That, I think, is just a matter of time. Now the problem is the FTC because the FTC is a little different. I, I believed in Europe it was a matter of we're trying to make sure that the corporations aren't getting too big and too anti-competitive and there was you know I, I think they were being a little stupid and getting a little too won over by Sony's bitching and moaning but I think the intention was correct there in Europe in the US I don't fucking believe it for a second in the US this is all just fucking political grandstanding for these politicians it has nothing to do with Microsoft and Sony they're just capitalizing on an opportunity and in the process of doing so, they are gunking up and delaying the process for Microsoft to acquire Activision, thus making us have to talk about this story more and more every week, which is exactly what politicians do. They make no progress, and they waste their times with, time and money with bullshit. And so here we are talking about it on and on and on. So we move into part five, and that's where we learn about, or no, sorry, we move into part six, and that's where we learn about how the FTC has escalated things later in the week, which is what we've been learning about the past 48 hours as of the time I'm recording this. So part six reads, the FTC is suing to block Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. An official statement made by the FTC alleges that the deal would not only give Microsoft an upper hand in the console market, but also in other areas such as subscription gaming and cloud gaming. According to the FTC, the complaint cites previous examples of Microsoft acquiring other valuable gaming content and using it to suppress competition from rivals, pointing out its acquisitions of ZeniMax parent company Bethesda as a notable example. Put a pin in that. The FTC statement claims that Microsoft has decided to take several Bethesda games, including Starfield, Redfall, and Microsoft exclusives, despite assurance it had given to European antitrust authorities that had no incentive to withhold rival um, consoles. All right, put a pin in that. The FTC issues administrative complaints that 
when it has reason to believe the law is be, uh, is being violated and that legal proceedings would be in the public interest. Sorry. The allegations will now be tried in a formal hearing before an administrative law judge. Put a pin in that. All right, let's read part seven to coincide with this because Microsoft retaliates to this announcement and says that they are now ready to present their case in court. The official response to the news, Microsoft President Brad Smith says the company is confident in uh, in its case that it would attempt to prove that the deal was not anti-competitive at all. Brad Smith says, quote, we continue to believe that this deal will expand the competition and create more opportunities for gamers and developers. We have been committed since day one to addressing uh, competition concerns, including offering early Earlier this week, the proposed concessions to the FTC. While we believe in giving uh, peace a, a chance, we have to we have complete confidence in our case and welcome the opportunity to present our case in court. Smith's sentences were, ec- were echoed by Activision CEO Bobby Kodak, who addressed the FTC's decision to file a lawsuit in a letter sent to employees on Thursdays. On th- sorry, on Thursday on this past Thursday, where he said, "This sounds alarming, so I want to reinforce my confidence that the deal will close. The allegations to this deal are anti-competitive, and that does not align with the facts. And we believe." that we will win this challenge thanks to the hard work done by all of you every day strong path blah 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 greatest games in the industry at the time of this competitive la- uh, landscape is shifting simply put a combined microsoft activision blizzard king will be good for players good for employees and good for competition and here's the final part part eight just a couple sentences as windows central relayed in a statement to mlex as shared by reset era uh user idos i edos idos idos the European Commission's has denied the FTC's accusation, accusations that Microsoft lied about the nature exclusively for ZeniMax titles. The This is from the European Commission now saying, the commission cleared that Microsoft slash ZeniMax transaction unconditionally uh, as it is concluded that the transaction would not raise competition concerns. However, the European Co- Commission said, adding that the decision did not rely on the statements made by Microsoft about the future distribution strategy concerning ZeniMax games. So this is this is the crux of it all. You got the European Commission calling out the FTC for being full of shit. You got Bobby Kotick saying, listen, this is all political grandstanding. Listen, Bobby Kotick is, a, is, a, is, is one of the biggest CEOs in the fucking entire planet. This, these people are in bed with politicians. They lobby. They work with them tooth and nail. These people know politics. A guy like Bobby Kotick knows politics, and he knows that this is all performative surface-level bullshit and that there's nothing real going on here. And then Microsoft is doing their due diligence. They're doing what they have to do. They're the company that's potentially involved in this potential suit. So they have to come out and speak and say, well, we are prepared to take this to court and fight this because we believe that we have the right position. So Microsoft is saying the thing they have to say because they're the defendant. And then Activision, Bobby Kotick is basically straight up saying, listen, I'm a, I'm a CEO. I know how this shit works. This is this is full of crap. We got this. Don't be concerned. Don't let the fact that the FTC is looking to take this to court, which sounds intimidating. Don't let that intimidate you because that is actually all lip service. And then you got the European Commission on top of that saying, yeah, the FTC doesn't even know what they're fucking talking about. They're trying to jump on board with this with this whole um ongoing back and forth, the strife between Sony and Xbox, but they're jumping on the wrong examples because they don't fucking know what they're talking about. So this is what I mean. This is all the validation, all the confirmation you need that the FTC is just doing performative political bullshit because the crux of their argument is Microsoft bought Bethesda and then withheld games like Starfield from PlayStation consumers. So they're lying about keeping Call of Duty multi-platform because if they did it with Bethesda games, who's to say they wouldn't do it with Activision games? 
And I understand if you're like a 75-year-old fucking boomer who knows nothing about goddamn video games and you spent your entire life just fucking decrepitly burning to hell in D.C., making other people's lives miserable, doing absolutely nothing to benefit your country, you might be stupid enough to think that because that logic might make sense to you. But if you're someone who actually does your research and knows any goddamn thing about the companies you are taking the task or defending or working for or against, you would know that these are entirely different use cases that don't add up. That's like saying, because Microsoft doesn't put Halo Infinite on PlayStation 5, we have reason to believe that they will take Call of Duty from PlayStation and they're lying. Well, first of all, Microsoft is willing to build concessions with legal consequences to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. So it'd be pretty fucking stupid for a major corporation like Microsoft to put themselves in a legal up against a legal wall with Nintendo, with Steam, and with Sony where they say, we promise to put our Call of Duty game on your platform for 10 years and then like a year or two into the deal be like, psych bitches, we're not putting the game on your platform. That's a pretty easy way to get sued and lose a lot of fucking money. I don't think they're stupid enough to do that. But if you did your research and knew anything about this, as anyone listening to this podcast knows because you have at least two fucking brain cells to rub together to understand the, the financial proposition of how Call of Duty works versus how Redfall works, you know Redfall is a game that's going to, you know, cost, I don't know, maybe like $100, $100 million to make or something like that. And then it's going to, you know, in a world where Game Pass doesn't exist, the game was, will sell maybe like maybe like five or eight million units and make a, a healthy profit. And then the world will move on and it will be just another game. Maybe we game enthusiasts will make a big deal about it and talk about it for a long time to come. But it's likely going to be just another game. It's not really how Call of Duty works. Call of Duty is a cultural touchstone. It is, it is one of the quintessential uh, pillars of entertainment. It exists on all platforms, and within two within two days of release every year, it's like the best-selling game of the goddamn year. Call of Duty's a little bit different. It makes so much money that for a company like Activision to concern itself with building out games like Redfall or Halo would be kind of stupid because these games are just inconsequential to the kind of money that a game like Call of Duty requires to produce and develop as well as can is capable of making so it's an apples to oranges comparison it again the, the the comparison is actually the one microsoft is using and even that's a little bit loose which is the minecraft comparison another example would be like i don't know fortnite you don't compare fucking crap that if you want to take a game in activision's catalog of ip to more aptly compare to a game like redfall you want to talk about Crash Bandicoot or Tony Hawk or Guitar Hero, okay? If you want to talk about a game that can go toe-to-toe and, and, and make more logistical sense um, with, with something like Call of Duty, you want to compare that to a, a Minecraft or, or, or a Fortnite. Can you imagine what it would do to Fortnite? Let's just say, you know, Sony has a stake in, in Epic Games, actually. They own a little bit of Epic Games. I think it's like 3% or something. Can you imagine if somehow Sony, of, of all companies, got a, maj- a majority owning share in uh, in Epic Games? And, you know, they got 51% owning share in, in Epic Games. And they made the announcement as the controlling share uh, 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 that now... We're actually removing Fortnite from mobile platforms, from Xbox, from Nintendo, from PC. Fortnite is going to be a PlayStation exclusive going forward. You know what that does to Fortnite? It kills Fortnite. Now Fortnite, is people will just move on to a new game. That, that is what will happen. People wouldn't go over, like, people aren't going to bend over backwards to go buy PS5s to play Fortnite. They're just going to move on and find a better game that's available on all platforms. That That is the kind of game Call of Duty is. It doesn't make financial sense. 
and the FTC, if they don't, if they don't see that, if that's not in their fucking surface level initial like official statement that they're putting out there to say we will take this to court, then they're full of shit because the crux of their argument is completely irrelevant to what's actually going on. They're just arguing about nothing. And this is and the reason for this argument, make no mistake, the reason for this argument, the FTC, this has nothing to do with anti-competitive laws. It has nothing to do with what's fair to Sony versus what's fair to Microsoft. It has nothing fair to, it's nothing fair to us as gamers and players to keep things honest and fair for us. This is about politicians fucking uh, paying lip service to media outlets to bolster their own political gr- proposition to make it seem like they're doing the right thing because our, our parents and our grandparents and all these fucking boomers that don't understand goddamn thing about video games are going to watch fucking MSNBC and CNN and Fox and shit and hear about this deal and see the FTC FTC is taking Microsoft to court over this acquisition and they're going to be like, oh yeah, Microsoft's trying to monopolize and they're going to say brain dead, sh- brain dead shit and you're going to go to your day job and hear some guy who doesn't know anything about video games start to talk about how Microsoft's getting sued by the FTC and it's going to sound brain dead and that's the point of this argument is to have that kind of word of mouth just to kind of make it look like, oh look, our government's fighting the big business but it's completely unfounded because they're not even they're not even fighting on the proper grounds. And now there's, and and then the last thing, and we'll end with this, the part where this is the number one thing I highlighted out of all eight of these stories. This is the number one sentence I highlighted. The allegations will now be tried in a formal hearing before an administrative law judge. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. They are going to take this to a, a, a trial hearing. Basically Microsoft's going to go back and forth with them. This, they're going to make a huge stink about it. There's going to be a bunch of media coverage and then you're never going to hear about this again. The whole story between Microsoft and the FTC is going to go whisper quiet. This will go away. And then the only actual hurdle is the battle between Microsoft and the uh, and, and Microsoft, Sony and in these European regulators, because they're actually looking in and scrutinizing the deal. The FTC is just fucking playing, playing for brownie points here. So that is, that's my interpretation. That's my analysis of what's going on. I'll be shocked if I, I'm not right about any of these things. I'm not, listen, I'm not a political pundit. You can tell by the way I'm talking that I'm very out of my element generally these things. I, I have a pretty good feeling about this one. I, I would be shocked if we don't walk away from this being exactly what I just said, where this is going to go to some kind of trial run. It's going to be all over the news for just a tiny blip of a moment. And then the whole FTC versus Microsoft thing is going to go away. You're never going to hear about it again. And it will be yesterday's news. Because this is just about a couple politicians getting some political brownie points. The real, the real battle is between Microsoft, Sony, and the European regulators. And that we have to wait on. But I think it's moving in a positive direction because it seems like Microsoft has got Sony up against a wall. Where they're like, we're giving you everything you could possibly want. And we're giving it to other competitors that aren't even asking for it. Checkmate. So I know we're all tired of talking about the story. And I know every week you're tired of hearing me say, I know you're tired about hearing about this story, but I think the past two weeks or so, past three weeks maybe, it's it's gotten to a point where I think we're getting somewhere with it. I think it's getting juicy. I think we're being able to start to thread some needles and, and, and weave and weave some kind of narrative here about what all is going on. And I think that at least is more interesting than what we were having for a long time, which is like, he said this, she said that. Okay, nothing's moving. Nothing's moving. Maybe something will happen in March. Then he said this. <laughs> it's like that kind of thing. So we're, it seems like, I don't know, something's happening. But that's it for the news, guys. Lots of, game, lots of Game Awards news. Lots of Activision Blizzard news. Over two and a half hours in. And uh, yeah, man, I, to- I told you it's a, bi- it's a big week. So 
you know, like I said, last big news week of the year. Pretty pretty chunky bit of bit of shit to get through, right? We're not done yet, though. We still have the important enough news as well as comments. So let's uh, let's move right along. Try to be respectful of your time. Keep this thing under three hours if possible. Let's get to the important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to warrant their own discussions. However, of which uh, let's speaking of Call of Duty, we got first two are Call of Duty related. First of all, VGC says that Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two has dethroned Elden Ring to become the best selling game of 2022 in the U.S. Think about that. Elden Ring came out in February. Modern Warfare 2 came out on October 27th. In a month, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 outsold Elden Ring, which was which has been on the market for like 10 months, 10, 11 months. That's why you don't compare a game like fucking Starfield or Redfall to Call of Duty. Anyway, that's according to the NPD group, which published numbers on, fi- on Friday uh, based on dollar sales, uh, unless otherwise stated. Having talked about... Having topped October's sales chart in just two days of sales, Activision Shooter held the number one spot on November's charts ahead of the new entry to uh, God of War Ragnarok, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, and Sonic Frontiers. Let's go Sonic Frontiers, making it on that top list somehow. For shits and giggles, for those wondering, top top five best-selling games of the month of November, we got Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 at number one, God of War Ragnarok at number two, Pokemon Scarlet slash Violet at number Violet at number three. I am shocked, by the way, as a side note, I'm shocked that God of War outsold Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, considering that the install base of the Switch is huge. Two skews of that Pokemon game. Pokemon's more all ages. I, I don't know. That just actually surprises me, to be honest. Uh, number four best-selling game of the month, Sonic Frontiers. Fucking suck it. Let's go. Congratulations. Also, number four, my favorite number, Sonic Frontiers. Favorite game. It's fitting, okay? And then the number five best-selling game of the month was Madden NFL 23. Um, other notable games, we had Gotham Knights at number eight, Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales at number nine, Elden Ring at number 11, Mario Kart 8 at number 13 because it will never fucking die, Persona 5 at number 15, it's pretty good, Minecraft at number 18, uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild at number 20 because why not, I guess? Because Nintendo games never stop fucking selling, but really, really impressive numbers there. Also, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2-related, the game's first raid, which is titled Adam Grad, uh, will continue the the story of Modern Warfare 2's campaign and be the first raid in the game. It's coming out December 14th. A new trailer for it has launched. Uh, the raid is a three-player cooperative challenge mixed with stealth combat and puzzle-solving objectives. It is recommended that you play the Spec Ops missions first before you get into this, but... I'm actually looking forward to giving that a go if I can ever find someone to play that with. Next up, Windows Central reports Microsoft Flight Simulator has crossed 10 million players so far, which is incredible. Uh, They were only at 2 million players back in December of 2020, so in two years they've earned an extra 8 million players. Next up, VGC reports that Riot Games have detailed the launch of the first uh, launch timings for the first uh, for sorry for its games arrival on Game Pass next week, and revealed the benefits to players that will get for playing games on Microsoft service for a limited time. Players linking Xbox and Riot accounts will be able to play from today ex- and receive extra rewards on the following titles: League of Legends, League of Legends Wild Rift, Legends of Runeterra. Team Fight Tactics and Valorant. I only recognize two of those games. Uh, next up, VGC reports that CD Projekt Red has provided a few details on the decision to scrap the standalone Cyberpunk multiplayer game. Yes, apparently there was a multiplayer game that got scrapped. The company previously planned to release a AAA Cyberpunk multiplayer game following 2077's release, but those plans were changed after the troubled launch of the game in 2020. Philip Weber, who is a senior quest designer and coordinator of the game, told Eurogamer. Next up, new content support for Gwent, the Witcher card game, the free-to-play title, 
was officially released in 2018 and will also be extended to next year. Although CD Projekt Red is not shutting the game down, that is the final release for the game. It's also planning to release 72 more Gwent cards across expansions in April, July, and September of next year. Next up, Sonic fans looking forward to Sonic Prime on Netflix will be able to see the first few episode, first episode early on Roblox. Yes, you heard me right, the free-to-play game. The free-to-play game platform is home to Sonic Speed Simulator, where players can explore Sonic environments on Roblox. According to the announcement, Netflix's original Netflix geeked Twitter account, the first 40 minutes 40-minute episode of the show will be aired on Sonic Speed Simulator every 45 minutes for a week. This means that fans will get to watch the first part of the series a number of days before it shows up on Netflix. And lastly, a new entry in the Amnesia series, Horror Video Games, is due next year. It's been confirmed. Amnesia, the bunker, will be the fourth game in the series and the third one to be developed by Frictional Games, the studio behind the first title. According to Frictional Games, players will walk around a course of an ill-lit World War I bunker in the shoes of French soldiers troubled by his amnesia and haunted by the otherworldly creature. That is it for all the news of any consequence this week, you guys. <sighs> Take a long drag from your non-existent cigarette and let's go over the comments. We have five comments to get through this week. Six comments, five comments, six comments to get through this week, guys. You know how it works. You go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode of the podcast and drop a comment. Say something long like this episode. Make it three hour long comment. I don't care. Say something short like Jesse, you dumb. And I'll read them all on the podcast because I don't fucking care. I'm not, I'm not vetting any of this. Anything you say is on the podcast. Okay, here we go. First comment comes from Keith L who writes in and says, first time podcast listener. And I really enjoy your takes on and humor. Keep it up. Also, what is your dream Xbox Studios crossover? Keith, thank you for writing in. I appreciate the first time writing. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the show. Also, what is your what is your uh, icon? What is that? RS Target? It looks kind of like Crossfire. Is that a Crossfire logo? What is that? You know what? I'm going to try to give you a really thoughtful answer because there, there's the obvious one, which is like, oh, what, well, once the Activision Blizzard stuff is done, I would love to see like Treyarch do like um, an ODST style game or like some kind of like, you know, some kind of Halo game where you play as uh, not even ODST, just like just regular Marines. Like that would be so cool. Like a more Call of Duty style Halo game where you play as Marines. I think that'd be so cool. Like, yeah, I, I do want that stuff. And it's cool. But I feel like those are kind of the obvious answers is like, oh, I want Obsidian to make a Fallout game again. Or like I want, you know, um, Infinity Sorry, I want Infinity Ward to make a Halo game. Like those, those are those are like low hanging fruit. Obviously, who wouldn't think that's cool? But um, I'll try to give you a more creative answer. I think it'd be really cool if Rare and 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 this comes from my you know my my upbringing of just really loving you know Nintendo growing up and always still to this day having a lot of love and respect for like cartoony platforming all ages type games. You know, see my love of Sonic and Mario for reference. But uh, I think it'd be really cool if. Rare and Mojang teamed up to make a game. I think that's a really interesting combo. First of all, they're both Europeans, so I mean, they don't have to travel too far to to link up and work together. Although I guess everything's done remotely these days. But I think that'd be really cool to see Rare and uh, Mojang work together on a game uh, just because there is a lot of crossover in what they are. They, they both are the Xbox teams that do all-ages kid-friendly stuff. And then on top of that, Rare, while they've traditionally been, you know, you know, historically, I should say, you know, like platformer kind of fun collectathon games, they did go through quite a, a phase there where they were doing a lot of like, you know, the Avatar program and like different kind of party games for Connect, and then like kind of like build your own, craft your own kind of solution shit, like when they were uh, building, when they made Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, and so they have a lot of experience with like messing around with more creative 
things outside of just straight up platformers. And then Mojang, on the other hand, is like kind of the opposite where you know, they make all ages, kid friendly, cartoony games. Um, but Minecraft was very much a game about using creativity and crafting and building mechanics to create your own fun, create your own stories, build your own stuff. And they have since retroactively tried to expand out and grow into other more gamified experiences with, with things like Minecraft, was it Minecraft Legends once that comes out next year? And with uh, Minecraft Dungeons, which I thought was, I love Minecraft Dungeons. I think that game's really excellent. It came out uh, two years ago now. Um, so it's kind of interesting how both of them started in the opposite direction and have moved kind of past each other in a way. I think it'd be really cool to see them kind of combine. It, it Obviously, Rare's different now. You know, Sea of Thieves, is a, even though it has a very cartoony style, it's a little more, it's still pretty all ages, but it's a, there's something about, you know, Sea of Thieves, which is a little more mature than like Banjo-Kazooie. But then again, I guess Rare also did Conquer's Bad Fur Day, so they're, they're no strangers to uh, mature content either. But it'd be kind of cool to see these, these teams combine forces with their knack for cartoony and artistic and stylized games and their their experience with platforming and kid-based games and creative games and building mechanics and things like that and come together and create some, I don't know, some like mega project, whether it's like, um, you know, whether it's like a really cool 3D platformer with a crafting mechanic or if it's like um, uh, an explorer, uh, I don't know, like, um, let's try to think. Some kind of twist on a pre-existing genre like what Minecraft's kind of doing, like a like a third-person, like kitty, like roguelike game, but with a with like strong like character, like a strong art style and character building and progression, things like that. I I don't know, like just some kind of some kind of like just absolute unforeseen but completely bonkers and lovable crossover between Rare and and Mojang. I think that could be really unique. Otherwise, my 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 response is going to be the ge- the generic thing, which is is the fucking let let one of the Call of Duty teams make a make a Halo game. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people also want like like ID to make a, a a Halo game or something like that. I just love Halo. Just give me more Halo. I also really think, and this isn't a crossover. This is just a a general thing. I really think that the the coalition is a team that's really capable. You know, people talk about how they want an Xbox team that can make that Sony first party like gut-wrenching super cinematic like oscar bait kind of experience i really think the the coalition is that team that can do it um and 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 we thought the initiative was going to be that team as well i almost wonder if maybe the coalition and uh and the initiative could get together and make like a really like really good like linear story-based third-person action narrative-driven game kind of like last of us uncharted god of war something of that ilk um that, that would be an interesting one as well. But a great question. I, I love questions like that. Really fun. Um, feel free to write in. Let me know what your answer to that would be. I'd love to hear it. Same to all of you guys. It's a, it's a very fun prompt. So appreciate the write-in, Keith. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Next, let's talk to uh, Sam Torres, beloved member of the Xbox on community, who writes in and says, the Xbox Series S is great. Just think just think of the flaming hoop of shit, hoops of shit we would have to <laughs> dove through to get this in earlier years of gaming. A cheaper alternative console, constant supply of games to go nuts for um, in one monthly price that even a paperboy could afford. When apes take over the planet, you know they will, Jesse. I want them to carry out the great tradition that all started with the Series S. Even though ape Joe Biden will be like the patriarchy leader patriarchal lead for from Tarzan and not want apes to game 
I'll bet he was a series S. He'll have a series S scrolled away to keep him busy. Great show again. Thanks for being the best podcaster and opiner on the planet. Embrace the apes. Thank you, Sam Torres. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I love that in your write up. Joe Biden is like some fucking animal farm. Like some are more equal than others kind of guy where no <laughs> apes are not allowed to play video games, but he's not an ape. Joe Biden can play series S all he wants, but yeah, this it's series S is, is, is phenomenal. And, and you're right. It is, it is one of those things where like, I, I think back to when, you know, and I, I know I'm, I probably make some people like groan and roll their eyes because of where my age falls, but I think my age falls somewhere like in the middle of what the audience of this podcast is. There are certainly listeners much older than me and certainly listeners much younger than me. But you know, when I, my, my childhood is kind of weird because I kind of grew up um, in this time where I was like being hit with like N64 GameCube, PS2, PS1, Dreamcast and Genesis all at the same time, Game Boy and SNES. So I was being hit with like three generations at the same time growing up. So I kind of have like this weird nostalgia for like all these generations. But in reality, due to my age, I kind of belong more to the GameCube PS2 kind of generation. Although I definitely grew up with PS1 and N64 first. But anyway, I only bring that up to say, you know, I think about those days about like how my parents bought like a PlayStation one for all the kids to share and use together. Um, there were nine kids, <laughs> you know, my, my brother mowed lawns for like the longest fucking time, saved up all of his money so he could buy a game boy color. And it was like, we all attacked and tried to steal it from him and use it all the time. And like, I think about stuff like that, even to like when I got a little older, like when I was in my middle school years and Xbox 360 was around and it was like, dude, I want a 360 and 360 had a lot of SKUs. It was affordable. But in the early days, it was like, you want like the fucking $300 box, the $400 box. It is, um, when you take into consideration, like inflation, and everything, and, and just the value of game pass, it is so, it's such a good deal with what you have with series S and with game pass. Because, like, I, I remember that. I was, like, when I was real little, it was, like, here's one box for the whole family to share. Good fucking luck getting a turn. And then when I got a little older, it was, like, okay, I have an Xbox 360. This is amazing. I finally got an Xbox 360. They're kind of affordable. But uh, I can't afford any games for it. So I got, like, an Xbox 360. I got Halo 3. I have Xbox Live every couple of months for one month. And then I don't have Xbox Live because I can't afford it. But you, you think about, like, the Series S. It's, like, a kid today. You get that kid... An Xbox Series X for 250 bucks, get him a, a, a Game Pass subscription, boom, done. You're not like if I were a cheap parent like that, or like, you know, a parent on a budget, a budget conscious parent, no offense, parents. I'm sure raising a kid is insanely difficult and costly. I wouldn't know. You know, it's like, dude, tell your kid, I'm getting you this subscription to Game Pass. I will never buy you a game outside of this. You get Game Pass and nothing else. You tell your kid that, boom, that's it. Never have to worry about being bombarded for like this $60 game, this $60 game. Just nah. Play what's on Game Pass, kid. And, dude, if I were a kid, I'd be so content with that. Just be like, oh, my God, there's so much new shit all the time to play. Yeah, I can't even fathom, man. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. But also, I wouldn't trade the childhood I had and the games I had access to growing up for the world because I'm so insanely nostalgic for that shit. But anyway, we got a couple more comments. Cronky writes in to clarify that he and I are not the same person. It says, some people, way of the Lao, have challenged the idea that I am re- I am not real and have claimed that I'm Jesse's alter ego. So let me prove that I am real. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitive. I'm definitively saying I'm real by saying and meaning things Jesse would never say. I like ketchup. I don't care for Sonic games. And Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War has too many words in the title and sucks. All of that hurt to read, Cronky, so fuck you. I know you're different from me, 
But ketchup is gross. Sonic is the best platformer of all time, except for Mario Galaxy. And Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War is surprisingly great in the first return to form for Call of Duty in a very long time. So fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Trophies and achievements. Mr. Malg writes in and says, I think Xbox achievements are still way better than PlayStation's trophy system. I don't feel any satisfaction earning a trophy when I play on PlayStation, but seeing the achievements uh, uh, with the gamer score across is really satisfying. Mr. Malg, I uh, I actually understand what you're saying because I completely feel 100% the exact same way, but I don't think it's fair. I think the PlayStation trophy system is really damn good. I think it's a I think it's one of those things where it's like you're kind of you you kind of only have a capacity to care about one or the other and it's going to be whichever one you were inducted into first. Because I'm the same way. Like, the Xbox achievement toast sound, like, every time that fucking sound goes off and I get an achievement in a game, it is such an endorphin release. And we've been doing this since 2005 on the Xbox 360. I've still not gotten tired of it. Still to this day. I'm playing Callisto Protocol the other day. I get an achievement every time. It's a dopamine hit. It's like, fuck yeah. It's so satisfying to hear that little pop, that crisp little banner on the screens, like achievement unlocked. Here's what you get. Here's how much gamer score. And watching that that number, your overall gamer score just tick up and up and up. That is a, an endlessly satisfying experience for me. And the thing I really love about it is I'm just, I just don't have the time, the skill or the patience to be that guy to hundred percent every game I play. I would like to be that guy, especially for you know, some of my more favorite games, but I'm just, I'm just not there. Every now and then there's a game where I'll try to go a little, a little deeper into the achievements. But for the most part, I I just can't be that guy. I don't get all the achievements. The thing I love about the achievement system is not only is it so satisfying to unlock an achievement, but you always feel like you're contributing by just playing games and just unlocking achievements and just getting your gamer score number up and up and up. Whereas the PlayStation trophy system is really awesome. I love that. It's so like granular and broken down by like bronze, silver, gold, platinums. Oh, your le- this is your level and all that because it, it really goes into the detail to separate people who just play a lot of games. And by way of that, get a lot of, ach- a lot of trophies versus people who like seriously delve into their games and try to get the most out of them and really work hard to get those platinum trophies because the system is dynamic enough that you can differentiate those people. And I think that is an incredibly cool feature, but it would drive me nuts if I if I were very much invested in it because I would never be that guy with a bunch of platinum trophies. I would never be that guy with a high level. On Xbox, I love it just because it's like, as long as I play games, my gamer score goes up and then I feel like I'm doing something, you know, I feel like I'm doing something right. So I, I feel kind of similarly, although I, I think, it, you know, let's say you were really invested in the PlayStation 3 generation, like on PS3, not Xbox 360. I could see how you're really invested in trophies and you just probably never got into achievements because it's like a vice versa thing. It's like whichever one you were just kind of brought into is the one you stick with. But I, yes, when I'm playing my PlayStation 4 and a, and a trophy pops, I'm just like, oh, that's cute. It's a trophy. I don't give a shit. But then when I'm playing my Xbox and an achievement pops, I'm like, give me that fucking sweet release, baby. So it is funny you say that, but I'm sure there are plenty of PlayStation fans who feel the exact same way about Xbox where they're just like, I don't care about achievements at all. But anyway, <laughs> nice ride in. I appreciate it. Uh, job. Let's talk about job. CXD Infinity writes in. Thank you for writing in. Says, always hear you talk about your day job. Just wondering what you actually do for work. Uh, CXD Infinity. Uh, unfortunately, I don't feel uh, comfortable disclosing that on the podcast, although I appreciate the comment. I mean, you're always welcome to write in about whatever. Let me just put it this way. I am very shamefully close to doing for a living what Hank Hill does. Uh, uh, Propane and propane accessories. I'm borderline in that industry. Um, But you know what? 
I'm grateful for my job. Grateful that I have my job. Uh, my, my employees have been good to me. Glad, glad I do what I do uh, or I'm able to do what I do. But uh, most importantly, I'm one, I'm one of those people that like kind of failed at what they wanted to do with their life. You know, I didn't, I didn't end up being a rock star like I thought I would be when I was 13 years old. So I'm one of those, those creative artist people who's like, you are, you are the, the, the passion and the, in the creativity you put into this world and not the thing you do for a paycheck. So what is my career? I am an Xbox commentator and podcaster slash Twitch streamer. I'm not, I'm not what my day job is. Don't you know that CXD infinity? Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, no, but all joking aside, yeah, I mean, uh, fucking, what do you, what do you want? A day job, fucking commuting nine to five. That's what I do for a living. Uh, but thank you for writing in and, uh, I appreciate listening to the podcast. Hope you have a wonderful week and, uh, please unlock some achievements. Last up, we always save him for last. He's the best. Fuck you all. He's better than you. Headhunting Halo writes in and says, Callisto Protocol. I gave the game a seven. It was good and I had a fun time, but it was too short and I was expecting more. God of War. That will win game of the year. I'm calling it an amazing. I'm calling it an amazing time I had with it, and I platinumed it in three days. So good, Mountain Dew is making me mad. I buy their products for more XP tokens for COD, and there's no codes under the caps that makes me so mad. I'm going to call them, and I'm going to turn into a Karen on them. I need some tea to drink. Well, headhunting Halo, God of War, lost game of the year. Elden Ring won. I know you wrote this comment three days ago, but I'm just letting you know in case for whatever reason you didn't know. Make sure your Mountain Dew bottles have the Call of Duty logo on it, because otherwise they don't have the Call of Duty points on the cap. I'm sure I'm sure you know to be looking for that. But I I did read on Reddit somewhere that, yeah, in some places they were getting shipments that didn't have the codes on them. I have not run into that. I've bought a shameful amount of Mountain Dew with Call of Duty branding on it for double XP tokens. And you know, thankfully, thank God, I haven't run into that issue. So I do apologize. And I'm sorry for you on your behalf. Not that it's my fault, but you know, I, I do feel for you that you're that that is a thing you're experiencing because that that sure does suck. So headhunting Halo, you have my condolences, you have my sympathies. But I'm I'm glad you enjoyed Callisto Protocol. I'm glad you enjoyed God of War. I'll get to that game when it comes to PC. But man, you got me excited. You got me excited about so many things. Now I want to go play Call of Duty, Callisto Protocol, and God of War, and I can't do any of them because because. Well, because I'm your real father and I'm going to come pick you up and adopt you and raise you to be the son I always need you to be headhunting Halo. Is, how, how do you like that? You want to come home to daddy? Hope you're not allergic to cats. Anyway, that's it for this this week's episode. That's it. We did it. We made it three hours in. That's eh, about as long as I, I thought it would be. Not terrible, right? God bless you if you listen all the way to the end. If you listen all the way to the end, please don't tell people about all the uh, insensitive things I say at the end of the podcast just because I don't think people are listening. Uh, that would ruin me. Uh, but no, all joking aside, guys, thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for listening. Um, it would mean a lot if you guys could, you know, leave a like if you're listening on YouTube, rate five stars if you're on iTunes or Spotify, um, usually around this time of year. Uh, a lot of podcasters start taking breaks for the holidays. And so Xbox on gets a nice little uh, listenership bump because there are people just looking for something to listen to people like me and like a lot of you, I know who, who have jobs to do regardless of the holidays and still have to go commuting and need podcasts to keep them distracted and busy. So, um, you know, I'm grateful that this podcast generally gets a little bit of a bump in the audience, um, during this time of year. Uh, just due to the fact that I'm still uploading while while a lot of podcasts take a, a little hiatus. So I guess what I'm asking is, if you can, leave a like, post a comment, five-star review on on uh, podcast services because it helps with the discoverability of the show. And, uh, you know, to, I'd like to, to the best of my ability, capitalize on that and uh, try and get as many new ears listen to the show as possible so we can rot people's brains and make them think all the stupid shit, I think. And, uh, yeah, one day... I think I think if we get this show if we can if we can get this show 
to quadruple its audience size in the next two years, I think we can collectively reduce the IQ of the world by four points by the year 2030. What do you guys think about that? Let me know in the comments below. Until then, you guys have a great week. And if uh, if 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 you know some of you guys don't listen until the new year, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, Happy whatever it is you celebrate. If you celebrate nothing, Happy life, Happy wife, uh, Happy husband, Happy uh, broomstick, and Happy New Year. Be safe. Watch out. Take care of those you love. Eat good food. Play video games you enjoy. Focus on your breathing. Make sure you stretch every morning so you don't get back pain. And until next week, power your dreams. Thank you.